Hey everybody, this is Zach Galligan, star of the Gremlins and Waxwork films, and you are listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, featuring two guys that you definitely do not want to feed after midnight, Blake and Dion. From Touchstone Pictures, let's go! Big Boy Caprice, <laughs> Flat Talk, Prune Face, Mumbles, Lips Manless, and The Blank are out to get the greatest detective of all time. I'm rubbing him out. I want him dead! Nobody touches Tracy but me. Tracy, Tracy. Tracy? You mind if I call you Dick? When it's time to fight crime, he's your man. Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy, rated PG. Dark Friday at a theater near you. Here we are today. We're getting everything good to go. We're dragging ass. I'm, I felt I took a nap and woke up and I didn't know where it was and I was all startled. Yeah, and I was all disoriented. I started it. crying and I was like, it's, it's okay. okay. It's I don't okay. know. Why is it dark out again? You know, I, 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 I napped for too long and I was messed up. And now I slept too long. <laughs> and now we're stuck in my uh, my parents' closet because uh, the water heat. We had a lot of noise on last week's episode that we had to kind of clean out and post, so we couldn't go back into the water heater closet. So now we're actually in my dad's walk-in closet. Mm-hmm. So it's again closed quarters and all that kind of a thing. That's so, a nice aroma of of shoe leather. Shoe, shoe. <laughs> Freshly shined shoe leather. Yeah, exactly. So let's hope we don't have a reprisal of my dad walking in on us because we will truly give him a heart attack for he was coming in to like change his shoes or get some get his pajamas on his PJs and we're in here like, hey dad, he's like, what the fuck? Why are you, why are you guys not dressed? What's going on? Uh, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baya, and I guess that makes me Jay Blake, <laughs> and we're both here again. Uh, kicking in episode two of the 2019 Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers 2019 Summer of Sequels. Brought to you by Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, By Lucky Strikes. Lucky Strikes. LSMFT. Lucky Strikes makes fine tobacco. Uh, we are not endorsing Lucky Strikes. They don't pay us anything. They don't pay us. No, that's Jack an old squad. Uh, Dilly squat. Uh, that would, wouldn't that be interesting to get endorsed by cigarette company? You know? <laughs> uh, brought to you by Dunhills, Triple Fives. <laughs> well, I used to drink, I used to smoke. Newports, Camel Lights, Mediums, Marlboro Mediums. Um, so we're back for um, episode two. We're in the summer. Last week we had T2. Terminator 2 Judgment Day, for those of you not in the know. (laughs) In the know. Uh, uh, 1991, and now we're- uh, We're in Wayne's World 2 tonight. Wayne's World, what? what? (laughs) (laughs) My notes are different. Uh, That would have been a good one to do. That would have been There were so many twos. Maybe maybe later in the summer, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll punch in some of the slots we don't know yet. There's so many um, sequels we could be doing, (laughs) because there's so many sequels to movies. Uh, in good ones, but tonight we picked a, a, a an old gem, a, an oldie but a goodie, for all the way back from uh, 1990, right? Uh, from June of 1990, we're doing Gremlins. Coming 2. back at you from June of 1990. It's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> Gremlins 2, <laughs> the new batch. 
Enjoy by, by Joe Dante. You know what I hate is when you when the DJs, you know, there's the intro to the song and they're talking right over the intro. And then remember this weekend you've got a yeah. large Mars got her truck factory and then like you know and then <laughs> hitting, right, hitting the post. Yeah. yeah, right. Then you know, then the song starts. Then we, right when okay, see you later. And then you're like, if you want my body, <laughs> and, and then you want to hear the outro, or whatever else, and like coming back on. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And then uh, Juanita from Bronx says that she wants to hear up next. Uh, You'll you know, be giving away machine. tickets to the Billy Joel show yeah. later in the hour. So just got to be the 13th and a half caller to call in and tell us what was Billy Joel's favorite album <laughs> and what was the ba- name of his first band. Blake? Billy Joel's favorite album? Turnstiles. His, no. And his first band? No, uh, <laughs> Billy Joel's favorite album is uh, Nylon Curtain, and his first band was The Echoes. Uh, correct. Later, <laughs> The Hassles. Yes. And what was the uh, Iron Cheek, Blue Shermit? What's the, what's the one... The, what's the isn't there a name of one that I what's the name a couple more of his bands oh uh Tiberian Curtain <laughs> sounds like a terrible uh, Attila Attila that's it I'm thinking of Attila I'm thinking I would have like, Attila's a good album I would have been like Alex the collector here's Attila <laughs> wrong <laughs> um so anyway, we're a little wacky. You could hear we're punch drunk. And I've also was telling late, Blake late in the day. Yeah, before we, we started recording that I'm at the end of my book, my my notebook, my note because when we do the podcast and we watch the movie, you know, I have a little notebook I write my notes on that I refer to later. And we're at the last page, so we're, we're going to have to say goodbye to this bad boy. Say goodbye to Dion's book. Say goodbye to my old friend. And the uh, I started this book out with uh, Halloween 2. So that's how far back we go. And then the next uh, so, uh, entry is... This is going to be up on eBay. This is going to go on eBay. <laughs> no, this is going to go on... Um, it's going to be like in 30 years, you're going to be watching PBS and some guy's going to be like, you know, I, f- I was at a garage sale. <laughs> and it's like, what is that? Uh, antique... We should put it in a... Uh, antique Roadshow. And it's like, I'm Mark Summers. Is that... Yeah, not the, not no, the real uh, one. <laughs> no, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Mark Wahlberg. I'm Mark Wahlberg, but not the one you know. And next time we... Well, not this that is, one. <laughs> not that guy. <laughs> um... Should and we, I've got this. Put that in a time capsule and bury it. Somewhere. <laughs> and then you'll come out. And we hadn't sealed it properly. We'll the put water like got in. Audio cassettes of past episodes. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> we'll put it in. But we'll do. You know, on a completely unrelated topic. But we're talking about burials. I, I I've had uh, times. You know, I speak to Doctor Baden, the pathologist, Doctor Michael Baden. People may know he's a really renowned uh, pathologist and does a lot of you know posts on people. And he's now. Uh, digs people up and does stuff for you know people ask him to do like a thing but he says that sometimes you know when the body isn't you know buried properly or there's water in the coffin there's or sometimes you can open somebody up the the, the coffin when they exhume the person and it, they look perfect like that you know so it, it's, it's hit or miss how you how you bury these things so I'd be worried that we would put this into a coffee can a coffee yeah and then you put the <laughs> rubber on but then you realize it rusts and then you get some you know some mouse makes it its home and then all of a sudden you have rat mouse droppings and little mice Start you know, making eating paper, eating your papers, Dion. Yeah, and it's gonna all turn yellow. So um, this is a movie that I hadn't, I saw in the movie theater when it came out. Really? Uh, oh, you really? don't say. And I don't think I've seen the movie since. And I've seen bits and pieces of it, but it's probably just been like you know, oh, you know, I'll get around to seeing that. And I remember the premise, but I haven't seen it since, probably all the way through since the theater. So since 1990, since 1990, and it, it's interesting that it opened the same weekend as Dick Tracy, and I guess um, I don't, Joe Dante says that that was on purpose because Warner wanted to try to not 
make sure that the year before Tim Burton's Batman came out, which was also Warner Brothers. So there was an idea that they were worried that they, they wanted to make sure that Batman still kept the record for like opening weekend. So they wanted to, to take away some of the sales from whatever. Tracy. Yeah, maybe that was Touchstone or Disney. Yeah. So they threw this one to come out. And I f- then the same thing with Gremlins. Like um, the original movie was like they were supposed to have a or maybe like a, a, a holiday release, but they, they, they released it in like June or July because it came out the same weekend as like Ghostbusters and I think maybe like Karate Kid or something else because they wanted to try to have, have to competition. Go back to our that, Gremlins episode. <laughs> well, we did do a Gremlin. Yeah, we have done Gremlins before on this show. And um, so, and then there's another piece of awesome trivia is that Blake is a, the proud owner of uh, an actual piece of memorabilia from this movie, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. What do you got? But there, more on that later. Yeah, but more, <laughs> but more on that later. It's gonna be like one of those. Um, we we'll tease you. Yeah, we're gonna tease the crap out of you to the last minute. Then we're not gonna play. Sometimes we've teased and then forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's been so long. That happened on the Gremlins cast with the next movie we did, which had nothing to do with the Gremlins. We had to talk about this in it because we yeah. forgot to talk about okay. the. Um, well, uh, let me let me well, put a star one on thing your at hand. a time. One yeah. thing, one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> is a movie. I don't. I saw. I remember going to see the first one in the theaters, circa nineteen eighty four, and my mom being kind of. Whoa, this is dark. Like, what did I bring my kids yeah. to? And you, because you were crying when all the, like, and all the I don't know if I would, I don't remember crying. Maybe I did. But you remember, I think we talked about this in the first movie, how dark the, the, and warped yeah. it is for, like, that age, you know. Yeah. It's like a little bait and switch there. And then I remember renting this one, and I'd say I probably only ever saw this one maybe twice. Yeah. Like, rented it probably as a new release. Nice. In, like, 91. Yeah. And then... Probably one time after, because we have we had friends that we went to film school with that were big Joe Dante fans. So I probably watched it either in high school at some point or when we were in uh, college. But uh, I have to admit that I think one of the reasons why I never really connected with this one and watched it more often is because I find this one really disturbing <laughs> it's insane it's very it has the like the thing about the first one is that it is it's got some very dark things for very dark moments yeah that you know interrupt this spielbergian-esque small town frank capra-esque yeah like small town environment and so when you introduce those dark elements and they get very dark in the first one yeah that's disturbing, but it's disturbing in a very different way than I find this one disturbing, which is that all this is happening and the tone of this one is so like cartoonish. Yeah. Like, like Looney Tunes. <laughs> like even just the cartoony gremlins themselves, I find very disturbing. Well, th- yeah, there's a lot of stuff playing on this and it's it's a weird kind of a uh, they're, they're going for so many things because they self-reference the first movie uh, the movie there's a scene where the you know the film breaks in the theater or the film breaks in your video thing or in yeah. the novelization so they, they take you out there and then in the the DVD <clears throat> which really confused me was so when you when you saw this theatrically in the film breaks in the middle of the screening, it, they have this scene where they go have to go wake Ho- tell Hulk Hogan to help them. And I don't remember that because I must have... I remember there's... On the video version, there's a John Wayne bit that they put in especially for the video version. Yeah. So that wasn't restored until the DVDs. So when you saw the DVD or Blu-ray or Laserdisc, that's when you finally got the Hulk 
thing restored. So it really confused me the part where like you're out of it and the the projectionist is coming down the stairs and this is I guess supposed to be the lobby of the theater we're in. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, so I'm like this isn't the movie anymore. I'm like where is this in the building? <laughs> I know, it is a little you know, bit confusing. You know, and then that's why when I when we watched the bit with the John Wayne thing that for me played a little better because it was inside the yeah. realm of a movie like you're switching channels yeah. or they're doing something where you have to take the leap where the movie's broke which isn't the first thing that, w- that we could talk about it later but that's kind of a, a reference or an homage to like w- William Castle doing that in Vincent Price's The Tingler where there's a scene yeah. where it breaks down and he's like the tingler's in the theater you scream grab the women's breasts and scream you know or something crazy like that and and you know then they had little buzzers under the the seats and that would get people screaming everyone's screaming and they're like okay the tingle is back in the box the movie's going to begin again so that works but here it was just so far removed because it confused me i'm like oh my gosh what's going on here so it's just yeah, a lot of it is a little confusing or, you know or that like i said the self referencing where you have leonard molton you know criticizing and holding the box for the first movie up <laughs> you know and then you know he yeah. gets attacked it's just so it's just so it's wacky town this movie is very wacky. You know, we should have um, the building that, that they they use in the movie, which is also the same building I believe that the Fisher King uses because it's a block away from Grand Central. We should have went and filmed and took pictures there and stuff like that. Because, Recorded it over there. Yeah, just right Recorded in that little lobby area outside. You know, and I, I love at night. they had that like um, that thing where you know John Glover comes at the, the exit. Like that, that's practical. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wonder how they must have had like a manhole cover that they installed something for him to come up on and then have Dick Miller go in and go down on. There's also, there's got to be stuff that was shot on a lot. Oh, I think all of it is like all the. No, I mean, but even some of the exteriors. I'm not in front of the building, but. All the Chin- Chinatown stuff. And then when well, they. Well, for instance, I think what they do is you're following like the limo through Chinatown. And I think it starts in New York. And yeah. And at some point it drives up onto like the Warner Brothers lot. Well, the first shot coming in which is like that beautiful like uh, helicopter shot coming from the, like the the bottom of the of Manhattan you see the twin towers and stuff that i guess was lifted from superman 4 yeah the quest for peace which i feel like another movie lifted superman's footage don't we, don't does that ring santa a bell santa claus the movie i think well i think it was the same production company so they santa claus the movie was produced by the same guys that did that produced yeah S- superman so maybe they used some of that so during the oh, slave it was, flying it could have been out they, they, they filmed stuff as background plates right to put and then they didn't use it or something for maybe like superman two or three because santa claus the movie is like 1985 and I think Superman four is what like eighty seven or so like that. So that's that's a, a stolen shot. And then like you said, I thought they were there's a there's a, uh, a street down in Chinatown called uh, uh, was it Dyers? I think it's called D Y E R S, or it, it's an L. And uh, it's like in the old days where the Chinese gangs used to meet and fight because it, from each side of the street, you can't see what's happening down the middle. And yeah. then once the police in the old days, I'm talking about like the 19th century, when they would come in and break it up, there was like uh, ways for the various gangs to get out of there. There was hidden places. And now they've actually turned those hidden escape routes into an underground mall. So it's very, it's weird. You can go downstairs and it's all of a sudden you're like in this un- indoor mall where there's like a lot of, because it's Chinatown, there's a lot of like Chinese businesses and stuff like that. You can get your, you know, lawyer taxes done and all that. So it looked like to me that they were shooting it there because, you know, how you see like the perpendicular. But I like the idea of like the modernization. You see like they're knocking down the building. Like this is Chinatown's being, you know, kind of like, you know, bulldozed. And yeah, even yeah. Um, Key Luke's little Kurt Curioso shop is is you know worried of being you know that like they said they want to they want to sell the building and they knock it down um but i think 
what you're saying, like the stuff when Dick Miller, when the gremlin bat starts attacking him, I think that's all backlot. Yeah. And I think you said you might have even passed when you when you took one of those studio tours. Didn't you pass the street that you assumed you thought it was like the Chinatown scene? And yeah, there's definitely like if you take a the Warner Brothers studio tour, they will. I mean, I guess it depends on the tour guide, but they will tell you like when you are on the back on the actual back lot that they will show like this is where Spider-Man kissed fucking Mary Jane and oh, fucking shit. <laughs> this is the this is the you know pet shop uh exterior from Pee-wee's Big Adventure and oh, yeah. this is the little this is where Gizmo was bought at the at the shop those are uh I'm a big fan of the studio tours. <laughs> yeah, I know you've you've been, you've been, I've a, been to almost been, all of them, right? I've been to a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then you, I think that you know they shot, I guess, in June of '89 uh, for the exteriors of the building, so and then everything Batman. else. Yeah, exactly. Right, the month <laughs> of Batman too. They're right there, and and I can remember where Just I was. Just a few blocks away. Yeah, it was all going down. So. And then, you know, who knows? I don't know if they shot the interiors in the building. They could have used any building, really. I don't think so. I you think, know? like, the lobby is yeah, some other built set. Yeah, everything else is uh, is all. And it's, you know, the other thing, which is kind of um, getting to your point of how disturbing this kind of is, um, the first one is very disturbing for me, even, like, the Santa Claus story. And all, like, there's sure. a lot of elements of... it's, like, of, a different kind of disturbing. Well, because it's a different kind of... Uh, it's presented in a different way. This is more very much more of a satire. This newest one, but like the level of, um, like it's almost like RoboCop, you know, OCP kind of building and world where like it's like a lot of like you know the the commercials you see in RoboCop are all jokes and all this kind of like people don't care about human life. I felt like there was a hint of that here where everyone's just like, oh, who cares, you know, or like you know, I mean, I know they're playing a lot of puns. I mean, even they make. Um, uh, what's her name? Phoebe Cates. Uh-huh. They even make a joke out of her. You know, like she really just has like a kind of a haphazard kind of a role where she's the the uh, brunt of a lot of jokes, and then even they make a joke near the end of her doing her monologue again about Father's Day or something. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. like they cut her off. You know, like uh, it seems like you know it, it's playing with a lot of different things, and it doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, people you hear you read online that they say this is like a satire of this first one and a satire of sequels in general. I don't see so much the satire of sequels going on. No. But it's definitely poking fun at the conven- some of the conventions laid down by the first one. You know, you have the big discussion about the rules. Yeah. And they're like, well, what if, you know, he's got a nut or a seed stuck in his thing? These, his teeth. these are all valid points. Yeah, yeah. But it's I like, was thinking too. It's like really analyzing the first one, and then, like you said, Leonard Maltin kind of is poorly reviewing the first one yeah. in it, and then he gets attacked by gremlins. So, I mean, it's much more... I mean, there's no secret that Joe Dante is a very, uh, like, animation yeah. fan, yeah. like, director. I mean, Chuck Jones has a cameo in the first one. Yeah. Chuck Jones, he gets Chuck Jones to direct the animated opening to this one with Daffy and and uh, Bugs and then I think Joe Dante goes on to do one of those in the closing bits too with with Daffy showing up and stuff in the end and then with Porky shows up after the credits yeah but he yeah. also but I think Joe Dante goes to do one of those he does Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes back in action back which is actually action. really good in 2003 and even maybe? if you watch something like this you know in a lot of ways it reminds me of uh, like the third act the last act of um 
the Explorers, which is whack town, which is all whack. <laughs> that's, <laughs> super, that's that word super again. wacky too. Yeah. And also Joe Dante. So, you know, the apparently they right on the heels of the first one. The first one was a big enough success that they wanted Dante to do another one right away. Yeah. And Dante said, no, I'm not interested in doing another Gremlins. Because he was like, I'm not into sequels, or I don't want to. Yeah, and that, it was like, the first one was just very tough to do. It was a, it was a big project. It was, And he's just like, I just don't want to do another one. He and had a the, lot of problems talking to the studio. Or and the, so uh, they went and they tried to kind of jumpstart a sequel with a couple of different ideas over, you know, a few years. And then somehow they got Dante... To, I mean, I guess they, I would imagine they approached him again. Yeah, I guess they got far enough down where they were looking for ideas like, let's try to put it in Vegas or let's try to do that. And then, then they finally got the idea. They they tried to get the, uh, I forget who, they tried, Christopher Columbus, who wrote the first one, was, Chris Columbus was doing Home Alone at the time, so they couldn't get him. So they, they brought another writer in and he came up with kind of the ideas of moving it to New York City. And then they're like, whoa, 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 you can't have it in the entire city. And he was like, well, let's keep it to a building, which I think is good. Yeah. I love, I mean, that's a great, you know, kind of device having gremlins inside of a modern building, like, like you know. And then I guess at some point they came back to Dante, because I, I, I guess I should have looked to see what he was actually doing around that time. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he probably had done the bird, the burbs. Oh, yeah, that's right around there. Um, the Explorers is post, I think, gremlins, right? It's like 85 or 86. That might, yeah, if it you is, know. I mean, it's either... It's right around then. Twilight Zone's eighty two, maybe uh, his part. So it's so right around. They must have come back to and him his and part agreed. in Twilight Zone. Is I also am highly disturbed by as a kid. Is is his Twilight Zone one it's with the kid that? It's not the one when the. It's not the uh, Richard Matheson. It's the one with the kids, yeah, and the kid and all that. And yeah. Him, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's and, uh, I was gonna say because that lends itself very much to the uh, a lot of elements in here. Yeah, with the kids, you know, his uh, psyche. Even or as whatever. a kid, like, I oh, thought that was really, really freaky. a lot of <laughs> freaky stuff, and yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so they came back to Dante, and Dante basically they promised Dante you can have complete creative control. Yeah, and that's why he did it. Yeah, and so like I think he's even commented com- uh, commented that out of all his movies, like this was probably the one he could call like a Joe Dante film because this was like completely like this he just they just like let him loose and somehow they let him get away with it because this movie is really out there yeah it's so it's got a lot of craziness going on it's it's very much kind of like that tongue-in-cheek kind of a feel especially once you know the gremlins come out and everything just starts happening it is kind of just like you know there's just all hell breaks loose and uh it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Um, That's about all we can say about it. Uh, I did find that watching this Dick Miller's performance, I think if we did a biopic on Dick Miller, we should have Harvey Keitel play. <laughs> you know, Harvey Keitel could probably do a good <laughs> Dick Miller impression. Well, the, the thing that is kind of fascinating about this movie is that it is... I, w- I really wonder how it would play to people younger than us. I don't. I don't, I don't think they'd like it. Because... I mean, the movie is really like a who's who of recognizable faces for our generation yeah. and gener- the re- generation above, you know, older than us. Yeah, you know, because not you know, you got John Aston. Yeah, you got Henry Gibson, who's you can barely see. You have a lot of a lot of camp Christopher Lee. 
the twins we just had last week uh, in the, t- in the <laughs> yeah, Terminator Two movie. The whole feature, those <laughs> yeah, guys. yeah, those those guys. Those, those and guys. we brought Dick Miller. Remember, we couldn't figure out. We we, we forgot we Dick Miller's name. Frank on uh, Dick Miller's name, but yeah, Don and Dan Stanton. Yeah, who, the, the, who played we, Dean? Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, they play um, Martin and Lewis in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know, you also have like uh, Julia Luke. Sweeney and Key Luke, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Uh, you know. You, who's the woman who's the microwave Marge she, she's in the the Blues Brothers Kathleen Freeman yeah she's in there as the kind of Julia Child little little wacky um, you get a lot a lot of uh, and there's also just like a also just like a who's who of Joe Dante like we said people he's Jerry uh, Goldsmith who even does the the soundtrack shows up with his wife he, she's he's in that scene where he's like you know when they're it's trying the to get yogurt the yogurt scene yeah yeah uh, and that's funny too because I completely forgotten until I was reading this story about they were trying to satirize different aspects of the current world uh, you know the the cable news becoming big and I do remember frozen yogurt was a thing in the late 80s and early 90s I remember going with my mom yeah. you, could we go to the frozen yogurt and there was I forget the name of the chain but there was fro- frozen yogurt places everywhere and that was a bit of a little thing at the time which is really funny that uh, I, you know it's something that completely escaped me um, uh, Robert Prosky who yes. we talked about. He plays Darnell and Christine, and he's also in uh, Last Action Hero. Uh, Bubba Smith as well is in, uh, f- uh, what's his face? Uh, who's the uh, uh, Dick... Um, Buckus. Dick Buckus, who you can't even really tell unless you've got a real eagle eye there. So I think, see, see some of these cameos, yeah. you know, are like, are going to, you know, I think fall by the wayside. Did you say Henry Gibson, who's Henry- also in Blues Brothers? Yeah, who's also, also in, in the Blues Birds. Brothers. And then he's also really hard to see as well because you only see him the, on the screen. Yeah, the CCTV. You never really get any uh, any kind of other POV shot. But, uh, you know, other Joe Dante alumni, you got, uh, of course, Robert Picardo. Yep. And uh, who also the same year in 1990 was doing Johnny Cap in Total Recall. It says that's Johnny Cap. Thank you. Oh yeah. You know, have a lovely day. <laughs> you know, that's went a, on to Voyager fame. Yeah, Voyager. <laughs> um, uh, Rick DeCommon. Yep. He was from the Burbs. Yeah. I would have loved to seen like fit little Bruce Dern in there. Get a fit little Bruce Dern. I can't talk like Bruce. <laughs> kind of talks like this. Yeah. And Joe Dante himself makes a cameo yeah. as a television director. And, uh, you know, my favorite part of this, too, uh, when I'd seen it, was I loved having the Brainiac gremlin, which I didn't realize until this viewing is Tony Randall. Yeah. But it's Tony Randall doing some sort of weird, talking like, you know, very, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. like he puts. And it's it's actually brilliant in a kind of a way because it has kind of almost for me shades of um, Roddy McDowell doing Vincent from Black Hole. Yeah. Uh, but they, it's smart enough where they just don't have Tony Randall doing Tony Randall. They have, to, it's almost kind of like, almost like a robot, like impersonating Tony Randall. Where you have <laughs> yeah, a weird yeah. speech pattern and all kinds of stuff, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think you would, I mean, I certainly didn't until you did research and then you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds like Tony Randall a little bit. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's certainly, he, like you said, he's certainly not doing. He's putting some Like a Felix on. Unger. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing something else. Uh, and uh, so, and then you, they they try to get um, the old special effects guy to come back who had pioneered everything, Chris Wallace. Yeah, but at the time he, I guess, had he, he went on to a, a short-lived directing career. And yeah. he was doing, I think, at that point, The Fly Two. Yeah, he had done the special effects on the first Fly, as well as the first Gremlins. But he had done the special effects on the first Fly, the remake with Cronenberg uh, and yeah, the, Goldblum, and uh, he came back and did. Uh, Fly 2. He did the special effects and directed, right? 
Maybe. And maybe his team did. I think that might have been too much of a... Oh, yeah, well, yeah, he's uh, not there uh, doing <laughs> a job to be doing that. But coincidentally, he also directed a very interesting kind of odd movie called The Vagrant. And uh, Christopher Young, who did Hellraiser and who was featured in the book, Scored to Death, Conversations with some of Horror's Greatest Composers, did the music for The Fly 2 and The Vagrant. The Fly as well. No, he didn't do two. the first fly. He did the fly. That's what you said. You said the fly too. <laughs> no, no, not the fly. I got the fly as a fly. I got fifty dollars. You got fifty-two. How do you have two more dollars than me? Uh, so, because Chris Wallace couldn't come back, and I think he also then then Dante went to Rob Boutin. Yeah, who was unavailable. And doing he, stuff. He ended up going to Rick Baker. But Rick Baker turned it down because Rick Baker's like, all I'm going to be doing is doing stuff that you saw. He's a, He wouldn't be doing anything kind of original, he thought. He'd be just doing more of the same that uh, the other gentleman had done. But then they finally kind of convinced him, like, no, you can do different kinds of gremlins. You can do different kinds. They, <laughs> they, they had Charlton Heston go to him. You can do different kinds of gremlins, all kinds. So they had different. And that's another thing. The gremlins in this movie scare me. The vegetable gremlin is, like, disturbing to me that they're picking exactly. stuff that's off. That's part and of what I'm it. saying. It's they're so... Like, like there's so like the 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 genderless like nowadays like very like the the woman male is it a transvestite is it really a woman who had hormones because they drink a potion the female gremlin that kind of disturbed me uh, it's like very whacked whacked that's all I could say is whacktown hashtag whacktown you know yeah I mean you know part of just the overall tone. I mean, just like a goofy tone is one thing. That That is not like disturbing. <laughs> of course. But it's like having the gremlins be within this wacky tone. You know, like you have the, you know, just like the first four gremlins. They're di- the mogwais that come out. Yeah. And it, the fact that, you know. I, and they I, all have, yeah, they all have individual different like styles, which I never really got the first time that they're like one supposed to be Edward G. Robinson or Lenny and, or Daffy from Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's very goofy and something very disturbing. But then, like you said, then like later on, you get like the vegetable gremlin and you know the spider gremlin. I mean, that's kind of as a kid, you're like that's kind of cool. Yeah, but it's scary. Like you and know, the, the bat one's kind of cool. And then you get the Batman logo, which was very you know. Year later, you're like, yeah, you're still you're still wearing your Batman shirt, you know. But there was just. I don't know. There's something about it that even when we watched it tonight, yeah, it was like frightening. Like, like, really, like it's, it's kind of like the, the spy, some like kind of like primordial <laughs> place in my brain. It kind of just like rubs it the wrong way. Um, and that's not to say that I don't like it. It's just that like it it creates an uneasy feeling. It's me. you know, it's and it's funny too because I I always say I don't know if I say it on on the podcast but I'll say to you like I feel like sometimes decades bleed over where you know even though it's technically 1990 it's still very 80s you still have a lot of 80s stuff going on and for this you know with there's a lot of 80s kind of stuff in here with uh you know like we're saying about the frozen yogurt or these other different oh, things Rambo. the the whole ramble see for me I love that when I was little I mean how many people listening went home and tried to do the paperclip thing that he did you know and try to see if that worked and you can't f- shoot a pencil it just doesn't work you know but that whole idea uh it's in, it's it's interesting they get Rick Baker and they they tell Rick Baker that he can uh he redesigns Gizmo and he he makes Gizmo like a little not as i guess what they say quote unquote realistic as the first movie but they make it so that he can express more emotion and be a little slightly cartoony so when you see like the first shot of him like running away when Key Luke, Key Luke died 
you know, to me that looks kind of like it looks like a matte yeah, animation. But at the at the when I was little, that looked awesome. That looked right. I mean, it just looked weird how he's yeah. walking, how his legs walk. <laughs> he kind of looked like a gummy bear or one of the shirt yeah, tails, yeah. you know. Uh, but he kind of takes a back seat at some point, and then we have when he has and he gets wet because of John Aston, who. To me, it looked like he had a Hitler stash. I was thinking another biopic you could have John Astor play Hitler, <laughs> you know, because you know, he's talking to himself and he's shooting. He gets, he gets, he gets um, Gizmo wet, and I found it superbly disgusting. The shots of the cocoon gremlins on their backs. Yeah, that's that horror. Like seeing stuff in your like Blake that knows this, but like, like there's a Stephen King short story where the astronaut comes back and he's got like the eyeball or the mouth and the hand. I don't yeah. like any of that stuff. We talked about a bit of that in the gate. Yeah, so it's like seeing like the. I mean, they have some really great. Um, like you know, um, gratuit- gratuitous shots of the close-ups of one being hatched while you look, and the other one's still in like the blister yeah, and it's like forming. Oh, and it's and it's starting to oh, it's just seconds from <laughs> popping. It's, it's so disgusting. But I guess you didn't have you have stripe from the first one, and this one you have a guy. It's Mohawk. He's the bad guy. But they don't play him up as much as Stripe because people. It's like you have so much other things going on, you can't really, I guess, have time to develop the gremlins. Yeah. So the other ones in their first movie, they were all kind of looked the same until they came out as gremlins and they, they all ha- turned into something else. Like you said, distinctly, right when they shit off of Gizmo, yeah. they come out to be like completely wacky different kinds of, and, you know, it'd be interesting to explore the mythos of the gremlins or the Gizmos, the Mogwais, if, if, if maybe that's, since he's already reproduced once, that this is what happens the next time, you know. And then I was trying to think too, like with all these rules that that were conflicting, this is at some point. Why doesn't see people might know this, and I, and I'm sorry if I don't. Why doesn't Gizmo ever turn into a gremlin? Because he never eats after midnight. But there is a chance in an alternate reality that, that if he, he ate after midnight, he would turn into a gremlin. Yeah. So we could potentially get an, uh, a gremlin Gizmo, and there's no coming back from that, as far as we know. As far as we know, unless we genetically g- engineer that shit, there's no coming back. Now, apparently, in the first novelization, there's of, a lot of backstory about the Mogwai. Uh, of the 1984 movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, where they are fr- where they come from. Oh, see, we should have read the novelization for that movie. I read a, as much as I could get done of this one. <laughs> the second one. Yeah. There's a very brief reference in this one to, um, I forget the name of the, the place. shop. With the place that the, where the Mogwai are, oh, oh. are created, like the it was like the hills of it, like where they get the Yeti from. Like, like a that mog- kind of thing. Says a, there's like some word that has says like, has like Mogwai in the title, oh, okay. and uh, and apparently that's a that's a reference to a bigger explanation of it that's in the first book. Okay. So when we redo the first movie, when we remaster that son of a bitch and put do- an audio commentary <laughs> on it over us talking, when we do Gremlins two. The new, the, the the extended director's cut, yeah, with new footage, all new footage of us talking. Then we'll have that, and so the, so that would have been something we should have. But um, I don't. I would doubt if it goes into the kind of stuff you're talking about. But apparently, there is more in the original novelization about like where they come from. Yeah. Stuff like well, that. I like you have Key Luke come back. We've talked about Key Luke. I love him going far back. Is this our third appearance of Key Luke? Uh, he's in this Gremlins, and what? What's the other movie he's in? Wasn't he in uh, Mad Love? He is in Mad Love. Yes. So we have him in Mad Love, and that's like what thirty? I want to say four. Thirty-four. But I could be wrong. And that technically is pre. 
I don't know. No, that's not. I'm sorry. I don't. I forget what appearance he makes in the Charlie Chan movies. But he's he's the number one son in Charlie Chan. He goes on and does a lot of other things, uh, and then uh, into the 70s, he ends up voicing Charlie Chan on the Charlie Chan cartoon show. And then by the 80s, I feel like he was doing voice work for any kind of. If you needed some Asian gentleman in in voiceover, you'd have Key Luke. Yeah. And then he was in Kung Fu also, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, and then for then he's in the, uh, the first movie. He comes back for this movie. Um, I feel like he's in something else we just saw. Uh, but he's in the, you know, and you still you know you still have him. I'm I was missing what's his face Hoyt because uh, they were supposed to have him come back, and I you know. The idea was they were going to have him come back, what, at the end and do a scene where he was... He had a new... Because uh, he was an inventor, yeah. so he had an invention was was going to be some kind of wetsuit for Gizmo. Oh, so Gizmo can't get wet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can... So, so yeah. And, and that was supposed to be at the end of the movie, but by the, the, whole, t- the whole time the movie was running kind of long, so I think they just... Because it was whacked down. <laughs> so, you know, that's something we don't need. So what... It, what I wish they could have done was I wish they could have just had him do again voice you could have had him voice the beginning and the end and then you would have had him in you know had him be like because he voices the first one yeah you know the, check, you, check your uh, microwaves and get you know, your Dante on the phone yeah call him up because you know he, he might be a gremlin but this is like I said it's so 80s you get Rambo and it's so great you have Rambo they're not even showing Rambo 3 from 87 they're showing I think it's footage from Rambo 2 ain't it yeah, yeah it's first blood you know, 2 and that's like the you know that's the fucking shit right there. Solid Rambo too. But since we're talking about Rick Baker, yes, we can maybe go back to our asterisks. Yeah, let's footnote. Oh, okay. So we're, <laughs> we're coming around the alley about what the the, the piece of movie memorabilia that we we're talking talk about, about the effects. We yeah. talk about Rick Baker. Yeah, and uh, so, and I think we talk about this a bit in the Harry and the Hendersons podcast, which is that Rick Baker retired. Okay. And when he retired, oh, recently, yeah, like yeah, in the last few years, with the ex- when he retired, he kind of was—I don't want to say he's forced into retirement, but he says I'm retiring because I'm not getting enough work. There's not enough work yeah. to keep a to keep a, a shop worth of people employed, which is kind of a sad state of affairs that CGI is taking it all over. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's worked since then. I mean, I know he is pretty active on social media. Social media. Yeah, I just saw him do a wacky zombie on his face, and that was crazy looking. But uh, so when he retired, I guess they sold off a ton of stuff that was in his, like the Rick Baker creature shop. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I didn't know you were going to be selling everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was very excited by this. And I I was there online. I mean, they had stuff from Tarzan, uh, Legend of Greystoke, which we also covered on here as an episode. They had like the Rocketeer. We were going to buy ourselves a Rondo hat and mask. I know. There was a lot of stuff I tried to I bid on. Because it was happening live on, on, like on the eBay, web. Right? So, but with like a camera. Like you can see the guy. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> He's like, no, 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 and I got I got on there and what were some of the other things you were looking for that you didn't lose? I om- I was very I'm afraid. Open, I'm going to open up a wound here. <laughs> I was a very afraid that I was going to win a full Greystoke, <laughs> the Legend of Star of uh, of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, like a full like monkey suit. Yeah, which I think we might have brought up in the Greystoke episode, which you said was a good idea when you bid on it, but then immediately afterward you're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was like. You know, because then nobody's bidding on it. And you're like, oh, shit, where am I going to put... 
in an apartment. Like a life size. <laughs> it's going to be like a stuffed monkey in the corner. Yeah, it's like, I guess it's kind of cool. And did but he do gorillas in the mist too? Because he's the gorilla guy. He did the end up doing the. the yeah, he, I think he did do gorillas. In the and mist. he did the Tim Burton version of Planet of And he did the remake of Mighty Joe Young. But uh, so I came very close to winning that, and then that would have been freaky. Though. And then luckily somebody outbid me. <laughs> it would have looked like the you know the gorilla. It would scare me. I mean, like the gorilla suit in like uh, trading places at the end on the train. <laughs> you know, like like it, then all of a sudden it starts moving. You know? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm too fat to get into this. Come over and put the suit on. <laughs> yeah, it's all sweaty. <laughs> Walk around yeah. my house. For uh, me. <laughs> dance, monkey dance. Literally, monkey dance. Uh, that Rondo Hatton mask from like the old latex. Yeah. Um, stuff. Uh, there was a Frankenstein latex mask that he did, I think, for a Twix commercial. We did talk about this, but right? it was kind of modeled after the Boris Karloff, and um, it was damaged because it was packed. Right? Yeah, it like fell. the nose was flat because and because it was laying flat on its face. Unfortunately, when it was stored, there was a lot of gremlins. Yeah, like animatronic stuff. And animatronic gremlins, probably like gremlins that they just had in the background. Yeah. Um, that didn't have, you know, that were just like dead gremlins. A lot of them with the, still the animatronic like cables and stuff still attached to them. All kinds of stuff. And then there was a lot of maquettes, which are uh, like clay, uh, little clay statues that they make as, for design. So they to try to work out makeup effects on these little clay statues till they get the one they, they're going to go with. And then they so make a sculpt it for real. And then they make a mold of it and stuff. But but initially, there's just these little... Like a block of clay, and then they're sculpting something out of it. Yeah, they just make, like, there was Mighty Joe Young ones, which were just, like, the ape, yeah. you know? Um, there was two gremlin maquettes. One of them was in really rough shape. Like, you could see, like, the metal... I won't even, not even say armature, but just, like, wire that they had underneath the clay so that they could have the ears go out so they'd have, like, stability in the ears so that the ears wouldn't fall off. But the, all that was, like, kind of, like, the ears were off and it was a really rough shape, like, really kind of creepy looking because it was in such rough shape. Yeah. It was like... It's like a Terminator? <laughs> well, yeah. It was like a, like a Gremlin Terminator. And apparently that one was sculpted by Rick Baker. But it's in rough shape. But it was in really rough shape and it, and I lost that. It got uh, out of your price range, which is kind of surprising saying something because, you know, Blake is somebody who will spend some money if he needed I, to. Well, I, the one I did spend was not cheap, the one I did buy. So I bought another one, which was in much better shape, not perfect, a little beat up around the edges. But uh, so it is like a full size, maybe even bigger gremlin head. I would say it's it's probably a little bigger than you would think a life size gremlin head would be. Yeah. It's almost... It's a couple. It's probably like three inches smaller than a human head. Yeah. So you have it's a it's basically a bust. Yeah. It's so, like a, like almost down to his shoulders. Yeah. So it's a shoulders and up. So you have shoulders, neck, and and it it looks like it's mohawk. Yeah. It looks like it's an early design of mohawk. Like when you see mohawk in the movie, he doesn't look exactly like my maquette. So I think it was like an early design. He actually looks much more like. The brain, yeah, one, but without the mohawk, yeah, you know, like, but mine has. What I mean is, like, mine has a mohawk, yeah. but his face looks more like the brain, the brain one, yeah, because there's like these kind of like spikes coming off their faces. Again, disgusting. <laughs> and the, uh, the the mohawk one has like really big spikes, and I don't think the one on mine has really big spikes. But yeah, 
So I bought this thing, and it's it's and it's clay. It's clay, but it, I, when I bought it, I didn't had no idea it was still going to be soft. And you're also in New York City, yeah. And this is uh, old, good old USA shipping you're from LA, LA, right? Yeah. yeah. So then you had an issue, which we don't need to get into, but it's like you never think about. How, you know, what do you mean I have to get this thing shipped? And it's not like you buy a G.I. Joe on eBay and you're getting this thing no. shipped to you. It's like you have to, how, wait a minute. Well, let me put it this way. Shipping <laughs> costs $500 to have it shipped. And that is almost as much as you <laughs> could have paid for the, you know. So they And you're like, what? Yeah, they packed it up in a crate. The old-fashioned, like, mummy. Like, you know, it comes yeah. with, like, fl- like um, hay or whatever Pretty it is. much. I had to get, get a drill and, like, <laughs> you pull, uh, take the hammer. You had to get the back of the hammer to take off the plate, you know. And uh, it got it got, uh, got damaged in it transit, It got damaged right? in transit, yeah. Because inside, they didn't pack it, right? Right? So it moved There was something. Way. It was on a wood base. It's hard to... It's not really worth getting too much into because it's... It's hard to describe what happened to it. But basically, the base broke in transit. And had they, the wooden base that it's mounted on. Yeah, because it's, it's basically a head on a metal bar that's screwed into a wooden base to, so that it could stand up. And uh, basically, the base broke. And had they packed it a certain way and stabilized the, the base in a certain way, it wouldn't have broke. Like, the base back broke in half. Yeah. And when it, and when it broke in half... The the head itself pulled away from the other support, so then it's it, like the damage could have been catastrophic. How it didn't get damaged more, I have no idea. Unless it like, unless it broke, the guy bringing it to my house, like, like coming up the stairs, yeah. the elevator. <laughs> like him putting it down, broke it. Because but, nowadays you see like uh, you know it's funny. It's so funny. The old days, it seemed like people took care of shipping things. Now it's like, even if it says yeah. Fragili on it, people are going to... Wa- I'm walking out of my apartment building, there's a UPS guy, and he's just throwing boxes yeah, out. Yeah, standing on, on boxes yeah, to get the you know, boxes. And you, we've all seen videos of people having like cameras on their you know their front door, and like the UPS guy or whoever, the FedEx guy, throwing whatever it is you bought up at the thing. You know, So it's like it's so funny. Like It almost like is like a joke now that there is no... You need to, something just, I don't know, like, like foamed, you know? Yeah, I mean, so... Luckily, it didn't get, like I said, it got damaged, but it could have been, damage could have been so much worse. Yeah. uh, But I managed, I I believe you were shocked when I told you the story initially. I somehow got the shipping company to refund me the shipping. Oh, no surprise. It's like, <laughs> you guys messed up. You guys didn't, you I know. know. But you know how things are I know, are I know. They're like, days. you know, F you. Yeah, yeah, I know. That, that's the Somehow they got them to refund me my $500 shipping. But uh, I, I, I put it on a new base, and I got a plastic, yeah, like a clear plastic Because it box. started smelling, right? Because you said- the, It smells bad. It smells like clay. It smells like like soft clay. Yeah. It's so weird because- they never cast it. They never put it in a, in a kiln. Yeah. Or maybe it was just a special modeling clay that they use for those things. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so- in And my, it's in my li- 29 years old, right? <laughs> in my living room. Or no, it's over that now. Now it's probably over 30 years old because whenever they did it, probably before 1989, 1988. So in my living room, I have- uh, a gremlin head. Yeah, a pretty big size gremlin head. Straight from the Rick Baker creature shop from Gremlins 2. Yeah. I guess it's one of my prized possessions. I, gu- I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely probably the coolest thing I own. Yeah. I, mean, I, you... I do have a collection of cool shit. Yeah, it's nice that you, yeah, it's better but than. That's probably, that's top tier. That's definitely top five cool cool things I own, if yeah. not number one. And it's, it's, and it's a nice it's a nice purchase. It's not something you were kind of regret in the sense where. 
I'm just, the only thing I'm going to regret is having if I ever move. Uh, like I don't know how I'm going to move. <laughs> just, I would have just kept it in the box. Dion, come. <laughs> exactly. I need you to carry this. And I'm just standing the whole time. With that. That's, Dion's job is to hold the gremlin. My dad's there. Dion's job is to hold the gremlin. So they he did these. Like we were saying, is that he made these um, like gizmo. He made them a little simpler, but he was able to make it so that he had. It was able to display more reaction, but. Another genius thing I guess he did was he made them twice the size so that in close-up, you can't tell how big the thing is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's kind of like that idea of like Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. You can make an egg ear as big as like the room to show that thing going into the ear yeah. because- I think even ex- in the first one, Chris Wallace made like a giant gizmo head. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right for extreme close-ups of him like, uh, yeah. Yeah, or, or or maybe they didn't end up using it for some reason, yeah. but there was like- I've seen pictures of like a like a fuck off like a real <laughs> like, fucking fuck giant gizmo head. I would imagine they did that now too because like the stuff you're talking about with the gremlins like growing in the in the uh, in the backs. Yeah, the, you know that's that, probably huge. That, yeah. that that reminded me a lot of like. Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Oh, with when the little like Freddy's. The, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> coming through the walls <laughs> and stuff. Uh. <laughs> you know, the actors behind the thing or the Freddy head, the, the faces on Freddy's chest. Yeah. I'm sure that that was probably uh, pretty large. Yeah, yeah. And then just in close-up, it doesn't, you know, it's movie magic. Yeah, yeah. That's what we talk about every episode now. Movie magic. So that, that was pretty cool he did that. And then he was able to then uh, make a shitload of different gremlins. I mean, so much so, I, so when st- we haven't even brought Steven Spielberg up here, Amblin and all that, who executive produced it. Steven Spielberg, who I, I don't remember what he was doing at the time, but he had done you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit doing like cartoon elements. He did the second, this one, which has the Warner Brothers, and then he ended up end up doing what I guess Animaniacs. He's a part of. Yeah. But when he comes in to look at a rough cut of this movie, he's like, "There's too many gremlins in this movie. You got to cut some gremlins out." And we're, I think, we're like in Spielberg. Maybe was getting ready to do Schindler's List, so maybe he's not happy Spielberg. So he's like, well, you know, because Schindler's List is what ninety two or ninety three. So, yeah, I guess. So he's probably like, you know, he's serious Spielberg, which is what I mean here. I mean, he's also doing Animaniacs, so it's got to be goofy Spielberg. But it's like, he's, you know, he's like, uh, you know, there's too many gremlins going on. You have too much stuff going on. you got to cut stuff out. You know, and then like you said, the whole... Yeah, I mean, know. I can't imagine the studio, even Spielberg, looking at this movie. Like, I can't imagine, like, what they would have thought of it. You mean just... Well, I think it's more passable back then. You know, nowadays, still, you know, because even... Because when I was imagine, little, I loved it. I can't it. imagine, like, a studio businessman looking at this and being like... Well, he's trying to, like, this is a cartoon, you know, because <laughs> the whole point of them having the beginning, it's also, we should mention, that when the movie came out, it was the 50th anniversary, which I remember being a big deal of Warner Brothers Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny. So there's a beginning, you know, which is now very much of a, a time capsule or it's a time stamp where, like, Daffy's like, you know, you're a... Uh, you, you know, you've been hogging that limelight for fifty years. Yeah, for fifty years. You know, I want it. and it's and me personally, I, I'm not a fan of the kind of animation you see there. It's for me, it's kind of like very much the '60s and '70s. Yeah, Looney Tunes, uh, especially the Daffy Duck and uh, Bugs Bunny. Yeah, and, you know, it looks more like the li- the latter days of like. Tom and Jerry. Yeah, where it's just... Which Chuck Jones directed some of the, a lot of those later Tom and Jerry's. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely not... Like the golden era. It's like a... It's like a... But... It's like a poor man's bugs and I, daffy. We, we have to remember, if we remember, we go back to our, our, our... If we go to our textbooks and go back to page Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 
Okay, go past, go back. <laughs> uh, see, uh, if you go to paragraph four, uh, number three, uh, it says that, remember, when they brought Chuck Jones out of retirement or they, they paid him some sort of uh, technical advisor for, for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they, they had to fight with him because he wanted the modern... Remember, he wanted mm, modern right. Daffy, modern uh, Bugs Bunny, and they're like, "No, we want the gold." The whole point is, it takes place in the forties. We want the golden age of, so they overrid him, and that was one of the reasons why he was like, "Well, fuck you, I'm leaving." <laughs> then he, he didn't like. I mean, there was no, there was a big thing That's he didn't a like. Pretty the, good Chuck Jones impression. The, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm just, no, I can't do it. I have to, I have to listen to him. But remember, aside from how he didn't like where the characters went, um, that was a big thing he didn't like that. And this is he came out of retirement to direct this, so this kind of was what he wanted to be. He wanted that look of the and you know, if you think about it, even the Animaniacs or Looney Tunes, you kinda they kinda look like that this kind of a look. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean that's did he also do I feel like he also did the Mrs. Doubtfire animation. What do we remember? Is there animation in that? The There's movie? animation because he's at the beginning of the movie he's Robin Williams is voicing oh, yes, animation. Yeah, yeah. He might uh, for, for some reason, I think Chuck Jones did that as well. Yeah, because uh, he what he only when did he pass? He passed kind of fairly recently, past ten years maybe. Yeah, I mean it might have been a little over ten years, but it's far after this. This, and yeah. then the other problem I had too was with is that the, you know Mel Blanc had just passed because he did work in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is eighty eight. We we assumed. Uh, and then this is a year or two later, so Mel Blank passes away. And then I read Mel Blank's bio. That's not all, folks. And at the end of that, because it's Mel Blank doing it himself, he's like, and I'm passing the torch on to my son. Noel, Noel's going to be doing all the voiceover work. And then I never heard, heard from Noel, Noel again. Noel never did, huh? Well, I don't know Jeff what happened. Bergman took over. Yeah, and I feel like maybe the studio was like, you're not good enough, kid. Or, or they waited they waited till, I'm, this is pure speculation, but I don't know if they waited till Mel passed and were like, no, we're not going to use you. Yeah, no, you know, yeah, yeah, we don't care about nepotism. You're out. You know, but they had this, these other people come in and they kind of have, they kind of sound like them. But for me, you know, once they really start talking, you kind of loop. But you mean it's because the guy died? You yeah, had to, I mean, you had to get tough. somebody else in the same, there. You know, I have the same thing with Kermit. Yeah, well, that's the same thing with me too. It doesn't. It's not the Kermit. It's I, not Kermit. You're not Kermit. You're not my Kermit. You know, I've seen Kermit. You friends are no Kermit. <laughs> yeah, and, and Kermit is it's is very is is not as forgiving as like you know. Uh, not a big bird, but like an Elmo or, or a Miss Piggy or even like a, um, um, a Fozzie. Like, they kind of still sound like Frank Oz. But for me, it's, yes, yeah, Kermit especially, you can really tell off the bat, that's not Kermit. Or, you know, this is the same thing with these Looney Tunes. It's like, that's not them. So I, it's a, it's a personal hiccup of mine because, I mean, you can't, yeah, it's I mean, stupid I, because I you totally can't. I totally agree. I mean, I know, think... I don't know. I hate to keep on being like that guy who's like, or even the f- when we're, you know, when we were kids, or we were the last kids to have blah blah blah. Well, but that's but, why, but that's the way it is. But I think we might have been like the last generation to really have Looney Tunes. I mean, towards the end of, you know, when we got into our tweens and then our teens, later in our teens, like Saturday morning cartoons were gone by yeah, then. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know where kids were going to see Looney Tunes. Yeah, I mean, after Animaniacs, after uh, Tiny Toons Adventures, they kind of went, you know, they had the uh, Space Jam, and that movie didn't really do as well, but then they had the Looney Tunes back in action, and I don't think that movie did as well. I think Space Jam did more, because when Space Jam came out, I worked at a toy store in my high school years, and there was a big push where they had a lot of merchandise. Well, that was also coming off of, like, 
the the, ma- the mania of like the dream team. Yeah, all that. Yeah, Olympic, the, the, yeah, the uh, you know. basketball guys and all. Yeah, you get your cups. So get like you this, that get you era that. of basketball player, like Jordan and Barkley. Yeah. And, you know, Ewing and all those guys. That was like basketball. Yeah. Like I don't. There's never hasn't really been, as far as I know. I don't even watch football, and I know what you're talking about. <laughs> basketball mania since. Yeah, yeah. Like that dr- that Olympic dream team was a big deal. I guess we'll have to cover space. And then Jam you had like you know Jordan and Bird on the, the cover of stuff and video. Yeah, games and, the, and, and then the Super Bowl McDonald's commercials. Yeah, and Charles Barkley was showing up doing everything. So I mean, I think the Space Jam, I think was like. At the tail end of that, yeah. but it was still kind of it was riding the end of that. Wave. And it's sad because when you get to back in action, Looney Tunes, which is two thousand three, that's that actually Brendan a Fraser. Yeah, and that's actually a pretty good movie. Dick Miller, it, it's again, it's Joe Dante directed, so it's a lot of. I probably enjoyed it because there's a lot of references to like you know fifties horror, you know Forbidden Planet or the, uh, this Island Earth, or a lot of there's a lot of references for people who like us who like cinema for for the yesteryear. But uh, you're right. So now it's almost like I read a story recently, uh, and I don't mean to go down this path, but it's like even bicycle companies are having a hard time because kids don't ride bikes anymore. So yeah. it's like what you're saying. It's like we were the last, we were the last era to have all this <laughs> stuff. You know, it's I mean, like I guess know, there was probably maybe the the generation below sure. us was probably really the last one. Yeah. They didn't have it in its glory. Yeah, oh, it's heavenly glory. I mean, even the John Wayne part that's in the video edition, they said they got John Wayne's son to sanction a voiceover person. He recommended it. I don't even think that John Wayne's son is doing that great of a job as a voiceover. I actually find that, like I said, I find that much more entertaining because it works because it intercuts in. Yeah. They took a 1970s movie Chisholm. And they they have like their the gremlins makes are, more sense. Yeah, the gremlins are dressed up as like um, they're br- first they're Brandon cows, and then like John <laughs> Wayne walks up and is like get off my land, and and they're like ah the duke, you know, and then they start having a firefight, and they and it even to me like a lot of this stuff usually seems forced but the angles that they took it works where they have him shooting stuff and it looks like he's interacting with them and then he's you know they're shooting he's blowing their brains out or he's hitting this one or that one you know so it but then when he starts like get out of here and turn the movie back it just to me that doesn't work but it was fun seeing the hulk but even that like the hulk hogan the hulk hulk the hulk Hulk mania was so big back then now it's kind of like who is that guy you know i mean because there could be young people now who don't know who the whole i mean you know he's been around but you know he's getting old because he's like hulkamania don't look at the hulksters against the grimsters (laughs) you know say a prayer take your right man exactly hey brother thank you you know and then he's like okay you gotta sit down you know but so it's it's funny to see that restored from the theatrical version um yeah, I wonder why they were. I guess they maybe restored it because of the aspect ratio. No, oh, maybe. You think? Yeah, it could be that, or it could like just the video be the, version is in four three. Yeah, they never thought of making it anything else, uh, or they just wanted to. You know, like, it could just be re- restoring it to the original theatrical. Should give you an option. I would think they would maybe an on, the, on the on the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe on the Blu-ray. On the Blu-ray. <laughs> the, the, yo, Blu-ray. Uh, that's my rap name, DJ Blu-ray. So I don't know. Uh, but the story is that they've, this is funny, they've come from Kingston Falls. Kingston Falls, like Blake was saying, it's a play on Capra, almost it's a wonderful life, Bedford Falls. So they're leaving Kingston Falls, we would assume, to go to the big city to make it big. And he's a graphic artist, it looks like. He's mm-hmm. doing graphic stuff. And they're together. They've got an apartment in the city, and um, they're you know working in the evil hustle and bustle of 80s New York. They start in Times Square. I was looking at all that kind of stuff, you know. Do the right thing. You see, like a, a, a poster. Do the right thing in uh, in there and if all. If this the, was around Thanksgiving, you might have been able to see them 
like intersect with Steve Martin. Oh, and um, <laughs> and uh, plane, trains, and automobiles. Because that's Park Avenue. That's Park Avenue. That's yeah. That's on the other side of it's. That's more near towards the uh, Waldorf Astoria, there where he's running for the cab from. He's he, the guy from Die Hard Three, steals it from him because uh, he's he's running. No, he's running. He's running away from Kevin Bacon, and then the second cab, the guy takes him. Um, so. Uh, and then they're, they're in this wacky building, this really modern building. And this is another thing they're saying that which falls flat. Which is very flat. fortuitous. Yes. I mean, they call it a smart building. Yeah, which is nowadays is like, wow, it's very much everything. They control everything and all that kind of stuff. And they have, there's an idea that since cable news was starting around this time, you have Ted Turner doing the, the stuff in the 80s. And this is another thing people may not, may not remember with Ted Turner, especially where he was colorizing everything. And that was a big uproar where he yeah. was taking stuff um, like, you know, pretty holy stuff for people and he was just saying like we're gonna fucking colorize everything yeah you know it's I a mean, wonderful life classic cinema, you know Casablanca Casablanca you know everything and it was it was something they're doing it nowadays and it kind of looks a little better they did, they did it recently a couple years ago in like an I Love Lucy episode yeah. and it kind of looks okay but like the old days it was kind of I feel like I've seen the Three Stooges Blu-ray yeah where, where they colorized it. it and it's actually not bad like yeah. you, give, you have the option yeah of watching a colorizer. But back then, the people people's concern was that he was going to colorize it, and then it was like the Lucas kind of a thing, where you're never going to be able to see the original again. There's a really famous, uh, funny quote from Orson Welles, and Orson Welles said, like, you know, keep Ted Turner and his crayons away from my movies, you know? Uh, and people went to, there were Senate hearings and stuff. They were like, no, Ted Turner can't do this freaking shit. But anyway, so then he makes that kind of like Ted Turner... Turner Classic Movies, TNT, all this kind of stuff. And there's the idea of when you're making a cable channel that, like, you have he one place. He married Jane Fonda. He married Jane Fonda. I forget, too. Um, in you, you, you have one building doing all this different stuff. And I, I, I've seen that in other institutions where, like, you can have one building and they're doing. Like, in the old days, there was the, for people uh, as old as us, as old as us remember, like, Morton Downey Jr. and the Richard Bay show, they were all done in New Jersey, uh, right across the water in Secaucus, there was a building and it was like they were doing all these different shows within one. Nowadays, like like if you work for a news cable organization or whatever, you know, you do have different shows, but this was the more idea what they had different channels on in the building. Yeah. So they're doing like cooking shows, they're doing this show, they're doing real life, you know, so. But they also uh, like have different floors of... You know, no, it's like all encompassing. Yeah, so you have then you have like the genetics floor. You have then like we you brought up because we had him on recently, the uh, who's playing the uh, creature features Fingouli guy. Yeah, um, he kind of looks like Al Lewis from the Munsters. Grandpa you know, Al Lewis. Yeah, and he they have him doing his like late night creature feature thing, and, and it looks like it, to me I felt like it was like a buyout. Like they brought him here, and now he's in this new fangled building, and nothing's yeah. working right. You know, and everything. You know, and then you turn the page and you have like her doing the microwave castle or whatever she's getting hammered doing microwave dishes and you know they have all kinds of uh i don't know it's very frightening you know? yeah well i mean the cable did kind of go that way for a while because you had like the golf channel all the like the hunting fishing channel yeah like the you have every ch- now under the sun you have every kind of channel you know, well that's when the weather channel popped up the weather channel's still around yeah. but yeah you have all these different i think there's also a sign I don't remember what it's called now, but I think there is a sign for the company that makes. Oh, for uh, vector because vector scopes is a term in TV where you look at the video scope. So it's like yeah, it's like vector something from inner space, right? Yeah, the inner space. Because <laughs> that's Joe Dante too, right? Yeah, Joe Dante. That that's a movie. That'd be a fun. Movie. That that'd be fun. Clearly, I had no idea, and we can talk about it when we do. <laughs> that, event, Dennis Quaid is in. <laughs> when we eventually do inner space, is I had no idea until like 
I don't know, within the last 10 years or so, that Interspace was a humongous flop. Yeah, I remember it not doing Because I always well. remembered it fondly. Because we, I think when it came out on video, it played the shit out of like a new channel. I remember, my, I remember going to see it at the movies. Oh, okay, I didn't. And it was, and it was full. Yeah. So in my <laughs> mind, it was always like... And what's his face is in that too? Uh, I was gonna say Ricardo Montalban. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Robert Picardo. Yeah, Picardo's in that. Because isn't that the sh- that's the crazy thing where they and have Martin, Martin Short, Short turn it turn his face? This is he's crazy. That's scary. Yeah, and Picardo was in the in, in uh, I was gonna say Wolfen, but the Howling. The Howling, yes, yeah, and it's Which also Dante. Dante. Yeah, so you have that aspect, and you have the great John Glover in this movie. Who you know, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, sometimes we have to thank all <laughs> blessings for having people like John Glover in this world. And he no two people in one room at any time. <laughs> can tell you how much they that love, love John, John Glover. Glover as much as Deanna. Right? These two guys right here. <laughs> um, Who's got four thumbs? <laughs> and <laughs> love John Glover. These two guys. These two guys <laughs> right yeah. here. Uh, and he plays this really eccentric. They cross them between Donald Trump at the time and Ted Turner. Uh, you even have you know Trump's Art of the Deal book. They they, they took the design. Locked, yeah. yeah, it looks like him's thing, and um, you have Ted Turner. You Apparently, know. in an earlier version of the script, he was much more the villain. Yeah, and I like because how. he's very because he's likable in this. Movie. But it's funny because to me, I love how they don't make because you would think that would be he'd be the villain in this. But I like how they have R- Robert Picardo become the villain. Yeah, and I like he kind of becomes more of like the aloof Howard Hughes. That's how these people are. These guys come down from their like ivory tower, yeah. and they're, they're like, hey, they're around. They come around, and they're just like, hey, you know, they're like, oh, they're nice guys, and they're kind of like, they don't know what's going on. Like, oh, you work here, <laughs> you know. And I remember when I saw it in the theater, like at the end, like digging, like you know, he's the first one in with the SWAT team, and he's running around. Or I love the um, the idea of um, him, like you know, uh, having the penthouse that's so high up that like, you know, you could hear the planes passing, and you could see, he's got this big telescope, and he's looking at like just the top of the um, Chrysler building, you know. Uh, and he plays such a really great, you know, just just, just him just being in this. It's just, he's so funny. Yeah. and so, there's like an authenticity to him. Like he's, it's like, you know, I love him. The you know? uh, the novelization has, is more reverted to like he's not a good dude. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot Cause of- it was an earlier version of the script, I think, before it got changed to him being less of the- bad guy and yeah. more like you're saying just kind of like aloof because I feel like here you kind of like the company is doing things that aren't nice like the whole redevelopment but I feel like they I get the impression in this version the movie that they're maybe lying to him like you know or, or he doesn't know exactly how things are being done and you have the guys on the level of like the Picardo who are actually you know ripping people out of their houses and like the real dirty kind of like corporate kind of shit you know and he's more like oh I didn't know that was happening like when he goes and like looks when he sees um Zach's um Drawing, he's like, that's perfect. That's what I want. And he, he maybe he's talking about giving back to Chinatown, and we're gonna have a fair. We're gonna make a lot of money. You know, it's like you know, yeah. but he doesn't realize that he's completely destroying the entire. You know, the the, the whole uh, uh, everybody down there and all that kind of a thing. But uh, was this only the second movie we've had Glover on? Uh, what was the in other the, movie we had? Mouth? Oh yeah, we he was in the mouth of madness. <laughs> he was in in the mouth. Of <laughs> he was in, in the, the mouth, mouth of in the, the mouth of madness. He's Fall in that. Part. I love him, and I've always said I love. He's got a great part in Ed and his dead mother. This little um, indie movie with Steve Buscemi, and uh, I saw him on um, Broadway doing the Drowsy Chaperone. Was he in? The, yeah, he was in the Drowsy Chaperone, and he was he was phenomenal. And the premise of the drowsy the, the play, the Drowsy Chaperone, is he is this uh, eccentric 
uh, flamboyant, very flamboyant guy. He's alone in his small apartment uh, in Midtown Manhattan on a Saturday or Sunday night. He's got nothing to do and he's talking to the audience so he's like let's listen to the original cast recording of the drowsy chaperone so he goes through his records and he puts his records on and he starts listening to the cast recording and then the his set starts becoming the the play and then all of a sudden his set is gone and it's you're watching the drowsy chaperone whatever this thing is and then he comes in at points interjects or stops the record to talk to you or whatever and then uh and he's you know he's getting drunker you know, as yeah. the thing's going on, and then the act one ends, and then the beginning of act two starts, and it's this all of a sudden it's like this really crazy Chinese stuff's going on, and and it's like uh, there's a very funny song going on, and all of a sudden he comes running in, and he stops the record, and he's like, "It's the wrong record, I'm sorry," because the cleaning lady, and he takes the record off, and he has to put the new record in, and it's the right record, the drowsy chaperone, and then at the very end of it. Uh, at the end of the play, it's like spoiler. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that's the. Th- well, I can let me finish this point. And I'll get to what you're saying. That the uh, everyone's about to do the climactic song, and all, and all of a sudden the lights go out, and he's like, "Oh, he blew a fuse!" And all of a sudden you have a knock on the door, and it's super. And the super's like, "I got to reset the fuse box." And he's walking around, and he's got the flashlight with, and he's with John Glover, and he's like, and he sees, and everyone's standing there, and he's like, he's walking by, like, "We having a party in here?" <laughs> he's like, and then so. Um, and then this play ends. It's very good rendition of the play. And then he left the play, and Bob Saget came in, and and did the did the role. And to what you're saying, spoiler alert, is like I would love going down the wrong tangent, but I would love to be able to get a DVD release of something you went and saw, because you know sometimes on PBS they'll play like a, a performance, yeah. or whatever. And I know they must record everything, you know, very well. Like they have yeah. the audio soundtrack. You can get the cast recording of this or that. But I would love if I saw John Glover in the Drowsy Chaperone. I love to be able to once the runs over. You should you look know, into um, like Lincoln Center. They they have the they yeah, might have go, yeah like, you can go the, like a library of the tapings yeah of, of all the shows because I looked online and there is the run of it but it's with Bob Saget and I was like I don't want to see uh, Bob Saget in it I want to see whatever recording they played you know so anyway so I've loved him for years and then I remember I took my mom for her birthday to see this and I was like mom look it's John Lover <laughs> from such things as Seamus dad and his dead mother and go on this do the new 52 badge 52 pickup 52 pickup he's great in 52 he's got that Philly accent yeah. in 52 pickup this is my, my favorite thing about his performance I mean he's great in it otherwise yeah but he's from but it's such an odd decision to have that like Philadelphia accent because it's such a weird Specific accent. Well, he's from outside of some town in Maryland. Which like is a very so, similar accent. Yeah, so I bet you he kind of figured because you know I was reading this book on him about his like his first movie, Blake and I love his first role. There's a movie called Seamus uh, with Burt Reynolds, where he's a PI, and Blake and I were doing the our our film our Burt Reynolds retrospective when we were living together, but we were doing all the B sides of movies we hadn't seen of. Of, of Shat, uh, Shatner, of uh, <laughs> Burt Reynolds. So we did like White Lightning. We did, I don't. We might have did Gator, and we did this we, movie. We did do Gator, yeah. Um, and we did this movie, which was um, Seamus, and it's just him like a PI, and it's maybe the first appearance of Morris the Cat too. Remember, he's talking to Morris like he has a cat in there. It's for, yeah. but he's like he's he's doing all his own stunts. Burt Reynolds, he's jumping, fly, he's on the hood of car. It's like it's back when Burt Reynolds was like. Right after Deliverance, and he hadn't quite made it yet. He's still mustacheless, Burt Reynolds. So, or he might have had a mustache in this movie. But anyway, there's a part where he runs down this heroin addict, and it's freaking uh, John Glover, and he's sticking his face in this like behind this Chinese restaurant, like this gruel that you think is like the the grease trap bit shit. It was <laughs> disgusting. To get information out of him, and it's John Glover. We're like, holy crap, it's John Glover. But anyway, we love John Glover. 
that's 10 minutes of your life you'll never get back for us telling us that we love John Glover. I want everybody to tweet us your favorite John Glover performance. (laughs) Yeah, that means we're only going to get Jose. (laughs) We're going to get Marcus Benjamin. uh, I'm trying to get people to go to Twitter. Go to Twitter and check out. Please check it out. I don't want to see it on Facebook. I want you to go on Twitter. Please, go to Twitter. Tweet us. Twit, twixt us. Uh, but even like Marathon Man, there's a, there's a joke to Marathon Man, which I don't think anybody will get anymore. That's like, true. You know, <laughs> is, you know, is it safe? That, you know, that, that joke. Or there's a lot of those in the Rambo. I mean, people will get Rambo now because Rambo's still kind of, um, you know. Got the in new Rambo like coming out soon. Exactly. You know, um, but there's, and, you know, even the Christopher Lee stuff, like there's a lot of jokes of him, like, you know, with the back to the Dracula or the hammer years of him, you know, and I, I thought, I remember Christopher Lee having a bigger part in this movie because I've only seen it once or twice, yeah. you know, but he's, and then he, he is almost, he's upset. Like you almost feel like there is like a kind of a realization of what, oh my God, what have I done? Cause you see, he seems like <laughs> such a, yeah. you know, like an evil guy and there's a horrible scary terrible story where they said in a deleted scene that they had like the 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 uh the experimental animals that they were putting experiments on in the movie they had like the the monkeys in there and the monkeys they the scene where they were gonna have the gremlins open the cages and the monkeys were so terrified they wouldn't come out because of the I've, gremlins. Seen, I've seen the footage oh you've seen the footage <laughs> yeah. oh my god I don't think it I is kind of sad because like the gremlins sit there and opens the door and you hear like the the Wrangler trainer, yeah, yeah. being like, come on, come on, whatever the monkey's name is. Yeah. And it's just like, won't leave because the gremlin's standing oh my God. outside the cage. So yeah, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, no, it is. I don't like this. You're going to make me so In the crying. novelization, they describe Christopher Lee's character as looking like Dracula from the Hammer movies. No, oh, that's, that's, that's probably on purpose. <laughs> and I think his first name is like Cushing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a quartermass reference in here, too, which I, I couldn't figure. I read in the notes because we brought up the quartermass experiment last week or the week before, which was, I guess, maybe Hammer's first bona fide horror movie or movie, yeah. you know, that the company got going. Um, but so then that's the plot. But then the, that they, the, they find, I don't know, uh, Martin and Lewis were the two twins from Terminator 2. They're down in Chinatown when they're knocking down. Key Luke dies because he's got a horrible cough. And then they're, they're knocking down the, his building because they're, you know, they're completely urban renewal, you know, uh, remodeling everything. And they bring the Mogwai to the to the building to do using experiments. Mm-hmm. And then they How get him Wendell uh, reprises his and, role. And that's a, another interesting thing because when I was little, I never put that together that it was how I, I mean, I know, I've known, but like when I saw the first movie, it never occurred knew, to me. I don't know, know if I even knew who Harry Mandel was when I saw the first one. Yeah, I didn't know who he was either. Because Bobby's world was later. Yeah, and that's interesting because I got into Howie Mandel because of his stand-up. Uh, I'd go to like Tommy K's, the video store you know about, and yeah. I would get the stand-up, and it was like him like high as a kite on coke, like all <laughs> you know soaked, and he's doing yeah. all that's when he's putting the the rubber mat, uh, yeah, and blowing it up, and then he would in that routine or that set he would do Bobby, but Bobby was a lot dirtier. Like he would do Bobby, and Bobby would make like he had that joke, like the tw- like uh, you know I used to know the joke, you know if um, uh, if I don't get the I'm gonna crack. What's the, the there's a nursery rhyme he sings or whatever. But then when they made it into a cartoon series, they kind of really toned it down and they made it like a, you know a cartoon. Yeah. You know, but then but then Howie Mandel ended up you know achieving because remember he's in a couple movies too. Oh yeah, he was in Little Monsters. Yeah, but before that, he's and, in some uh, wacky movies, like, you know, when he's still that crazy. He's almost like a Robin Williams-esque, you know, energy comedian, you know. I forget yeah. he's yeah he's under prosthetic in Little Monsters. Is he Elsewhere? Yes, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but I forget he's the voiceover actor in there, and you have Frank Welker again reprising a lot of the roles. Uh, yeah, he does a bunch of the Gremlins. Yeah, as including um, Mohawk because he was striping the first one. Uh, and there's a interesting what if game because they were talking about instead of getting uh, Tony Randall, you have Tim Curry be that voice of the brain, which I think oh, could have yeah. really worked. That could have worked. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, so it just and then once the gremlins get into the the mechanics of everything, it turns into just craziness where there are people are I, I feel like people are dying left and right and people are getting killed or eaten and and it's weird because there's the idea the dilemma of I mean I don't know how deep we can look into this but the gremlins are kind of smart because they know they're tinkering with stuff so there must be a savvy they might have to go to a vocation school <laughs> they know how to play cards and stuff like that you know well yeah when were they did the first one too remember they're yeah, at the bar and, and they're playing cards and all that stuff going there's an element of um you know if there's maybe a learned i mean if you want to analyze yeah, that yeah. <laughs> like a, like a like a like a um uh, a genetic memory yeah. of things. Oh, so like a, like an elephant muscle memory? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, they have, when they come up, they already have the stuff they need for the next time? Well, yeah, like maybe because Gizmo knows things. Oh, they yeah, know so, things. so they have like Gizmo's memories? So that's kind of freaky. One thing, you know, Gizmo, I think, believes when he sees John Aston says Gomez. He does. And then when he says, he's like, Key Luke. He says, when Key Luke dies or whatever, he's, you know, he's like, it's funny. Uh, and that's all, I guess, you think that's Howie Mandela improving. Um, and then you, so Kingston Falls, they moved from Kingston Falls to New York and we were trying to figure out where Kingston Falls would be. And you get Dick Miller saying, we've been on a bus for 32 hours. So I was trying to figure out where, how far away they'd have to be to take a bus 32 hours to New York. And I was going to ask you how long it takes to get places because you've been on a lot of buses. But then I had the realization, well, maybe, maybe it doesn't have many stops. There are. That's maybe, yes, I'm saying maybe it doesn't take 32 hours. It could only take four hours, but they went the wrong, you know, it, yeah. it could have been an adventure of them getting there, you know. And they had the woman who's Dick Miller's wife in the first movie. She reprises the role as the, as the you know, in this movie. Well, I'm going to say, if I had to guess, I would say that it's... Near the Great Lakes, up up like by uh, Lake, uh, you know, up. like Erie, Buffalo. Yeah, way up, way upstate. <laughs> I mean, I guess Placid. I, I guess we never really see it when it's not covered in snow, right? Because it's Christmas, so it's hard to. That's true. Seems like a cold place to me, but we did just catch it right right at the Christmas season when we were there last. Yeah, so it was very. It's a good, a good fresh cover of snow. Uh, so it's, I like that they bring Dick Miller back because I do remember when you I remember when I saw this in the theater thinking you know he died in the first movie because they kind of make it look like he's you know he's in the corner of the room with his wife and they have a backhoe coming at him yeah. you know with the da 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 you know so you think he's but then they you know he's like oh you know he has like all this like um, uh, PTSD now because of all the gremlin stuff it's funny you know he's like I hear, don't you hear it <laughs> it's like you know it's like you know it's like I love all that. You know, he's great yeah. at anything. And when they see it, they're like, see? Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah, it's like, you know, or when the bat starts attacking him, I'm surprised, I guess, because it's New York. Like, no one's really that bothered, except no. when they get to the extreme close-up, you see people kind of, like, <laughs> dodging it, but they're still going on their way, you know, even though it's only just affecting him. Uh, and I remember the payoff, I had forgotten into this, where he gets stuck in the concrete, goes up. I love that payoff. It comes with yeah, it comes with proper gargoyle. Uh, shades of uh, freaking cue the winged serpent there, almost. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Your Tales from the... You told! That's so <laughs> freaky. Don't get me started on that. Uh, I love that story. That 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 episode of... Uh, oh, it's just that freaky. Segment. That's, that's, what's his face, too, ain't it? 
it's your man. It's uh, from Ajax, from uh, yeah. the Warriors. Uh, uh, scares the crap out of me. Uh, and then the novelization that, like we said, right? Did you get to that part in this James novelization? Re- James Remar uh, and Ray Dong Chong. Yes. In, the stars of that. Uh, of segment the, of, of the Tales from the Dark, Dark Side. Side. Yeah, it's freaky. Uh, where he, he stops a mugging, right? And then then, he's, then the gargoyle like, catches the gargoyle. Kill- yeah, well, anyway. We don't need to go yeah. down that alley. But um, directed by John Harrison, who, direct, who did the music for Creepshow and Day of the Dead. Yes. And... That segment is the one segment that he does mu- the music for. Other pr- other composers do the music for the other segments, but, but he did his own. John Harrison did the music for yeah. that, and it's a beautiful score. And I remember that, that gremlin is actually quite freaky. Uh, the gargoyle stuff. That's what I mean. The really, yeah. yeah. yeah At the end, it's you <laughs> as all. It, 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 <laughs> the, oh, God, that was that was one of the, that was a very early job for KMB. Okay. Like Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. That was a very early job for them, and they did a really great job. And so my makeup is crazy. Yeah, it's very scary. Anyway. Um, but then novelization that you said you got through, did you get to the middle part where it, see, it becomes so surreal where we've talked about in the in the theatrical film cut, you have them stop down in the movie theater and you have Hulk Hogan saving the day. In the video cut, you have John Wayne stopping down and saving the day saying, get out of my movie and start, go back to Gremlins too. That's poor John Wayne impression. Yeah. But then the novelization, which is even more weird, you could lay out for us how exactly is this... The novelization was written by a guy named David Bischoff. Bischoff, yeah. Bischoff. Uh, yeah, it's really hard to ex- explain exactly what is said, but the idea is that <laughs> Bischoff... The, the novelization author. It, it, the, the author, and I think the gets gets hi- the, the book gets hijacked by the brain gremlin. Yeah. And he ties Bischoff up in the bathroom. Yeah. And I th- he even calls him Mr. David Bischoff Esquire. So apparently it Bischoff is a lawyer. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and he talks about the movie. Like he he says Joe, like referring to Joe Dante. The, the brain now. Yeah. Because the like, brain is now, the Tony the Randall bur- brain He has is- taken him for two pages of the novelization is written by the brain gremlin. Yeah. He's taken over, and he and it's in the middle of the scene. How do they do that with how? How do you make this this the segue from Christopher Lee giving his I'm so sorry, you know? And then how do they do it? Because in the in the movie, you're able to see like the emulsion break on the yeah, film, yeah. or in the in the VHS, it starts going weird, and people had actually have a problem when they return the VHS tapes because they must have hit stop right then. It looked like there's a problem with the VCR. So in the book, how do you write that? I think it, to my recollection, I'd sped through it. Yeah, <laughs> late nights on the way over when your mom was bringing you over. As I think it's just that, like it, it it stops and then the ne- and then it's like a ch- the chapter. I oh, think, okay. I think it's a chapter thing. Okay, I didn't know if it's like in the mid sentence of you know that suddenly well, ah, you know like that kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to reread it. So he's in there and he has two pages of him just talking about Joe Dante. Yeah, and well, Bob. he's he's he, he mentions the movie and talks about talks about the director Joe. He mentions that the projectionist. I think he's, he mentions, he talks about the projectionist, so he references the scene in the movie, mm-hmm. the Hulk Hogan scene in the movie, because he references that the projectionist was in the movie The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Because the actor, I forget who who plays him now off the top of my head. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, okay, yeah, the, oh, the actual guy who's a projectionist, yes. And then he goes into this kind of like, this weird rant about... Uh, 
the gremlins kind of like, you know, it's a mo- most like a political like manifesto. <laughs> he starts talking about <laughs> like demands or not really demands, but he starts talking about how like what what Amer- what America really needs is blah blah blah, and the gremlins he's going to kind of lead the gremlins, the new capitalist democratic nice folk is what he's going to start calling the gremlins. Yeah. And so it's just like this weird little manifesto that I found very hard to, like, really understand what he was saying. Was it? You think it's just him? Like, because you feel like the scene when he's uh, the talk show. Because I remember that was a huge thing. Like in the uh, trailers, you'd see him like, you know, we're not civilized. Was that civilized? No. You know, he shoots the other gremlin. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he's, if you listen to what he's actually saying there, and he's like, uh, you know, we just want everything else. The American dream. You know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna yeah, have I mean, us all. You it know, definitely it's like, is like I think this plan of like that they're gonna take over. Yeah. And then he's like, oh well. the the novel, the novelist is is getting is breaking free from his. Oh. So I, I better go or something like that, and then it and it's like him breaking down the the novelist. The novelist gets and then comes back. So it's like two pages that's written by the the brain. The brain, yeah. So that's that's interesting how the three different mediums they they do different things for it. I mean, there's other stuff, weird stuff in the novelization. I mean, there's that. There's, um, like I said, Clamp is uh, the. More uh, the villain. John Glover character is more of like the evil billionaire. Uh, some of the book is written from Gizmo's point of view, which is kind of weird. Oh, really? Like when he's watching the Rambo stuff, he talks about how st- he says he thinks to himself that Stallone looks like Paul McCartney on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he and he names the two gremlins George and Lenny because they remind him of the giants of the Steinbeck novel. Yeah, of Mice and Meaning Matt. that Gizmo read of Mice and Men at some point. <laughs> he liked the Grapes of Wrath and he went on <laughs> to, uh, so it's, know. A, it's, it's, it's a trip. I mean, the, the novelization is a trip. Oh, it's, I always find these It's also like, a trip. it's because it's, because of the wackiness of the movie, I guess like the movie, the novelization's written in a way where you're like, who is this written for? Yeah. Like what age group? Because it's so goofy and kind of, like written seems like it's more written for kids well, but there are like bad word like swear words in it seriously so <laughs> what they have like shit yeah so it's 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 a weird it, it is interesting because they do have like they made a little golden books they, I remember this being a big marketing I mean yeah. we start with the poster I think this is an, icon, an iconic poster I remember this poster so cool with him like in the drawer and then that you see the gremlin like coming out like Dr. Claw style from the big chair and you see him ashing the cigar yeah. and in the background you or in the foreground through the window you can see it's a building because you see New York City so to me it kind of like epitomizes what the movie's going to be about yeah. uh, but they had like uh, you know they had a, a they had storybook they had Nintendo games they had plush even the funny thing he's like uh, when I see him I see four suction cups on car windows very much out of like the Garfield stuff we talked about when we did the Garfield podcast um, it's just it's weird and then if this movie was criticized by some critics because of the all the like shameless you know uh, market you know but at the same time it, that's just kind of what it is it's kind of like you know having Reebok and all this it's like that's kind of par and parcel what we're watching here it's just well it is I mean that's exactly I mean it's about that you know it's, it's it's a huge satirization of this I mean in some ways on a much bigger wackier scale it's Partially like what Wayne's World was about when we did Wayne's World. Yeah, where you have that that really Pepsi, clean, refreshing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, funny yeah. like Doritos. product placement. Yeah, scene. but now that that movie was about like corporatizing 
the cable access show. You yeah. know, what I mean, and then, like it was, so. So in a lot of ways, oddly, like Wayne's World and Gremlins to uh, have a similarity in that sense. But this is, it's about like corporate America and about uh, the way the media is being manipulated at the, in the late '80s into the early '90s, and you know the way technology is going to take over. But like his dad who's creating these inventions that never really work right, the smart building. <laughs> yeah. Is in, so both movies have this comedic way of... Even the beginning, when they're trying to go through the revolving doors, yeah. you don't knock somebody out, throw somebody... Like, it, they haven't gotten the corks out yet. Yeah, so in, in, in a That's way... That's why it, I felt the o- OCP RoboCop. Like, people are going to get killed. Like, ah, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, but it is... I mean, they both kind of have... And RoboCop, to a certain extent. But they both have, like, this aspect... Both the Gremlins movies have this aspect of, like, technology... The darker. Yeah. Well, that goes like back the, to the, the failure of it. It's like the idea of the gremlin. I mean, we uh, we talked about where the idea for the first movie came from, and like then they show it in the end of this movie at the end of the credits. Is it the end of the credits, or is it in the? Early, you're talking about the Looney Tunes. The, yeah, but no, maybe it's in. That's the, earlier in the in the movie, if that's what you're talking about. Um, is it in the video version? It might be in the video version with John Wayne where they switch channels and they, they cut to a channel and it's the Looney Tunes. Oh, you're right. It's, skit. In the video, it's in the video version. So it's not even in the theatrical funny. cut where they cut to the actual original cartoon that they that they made the first appearance in a Looney Tunes cartoon. It was like a Bob Clampett, I think it was. Probably, uh, yeah. And it's it, you see like the the gremlin. It's and it, The gremlin kind of almost looks like a Marvin the Martian or, or it's a mixture between Marvin the Martian and maybe... I don't know, somebody else, like an Elmer, not Elmer Fudd, but somebody in the middle there. Uh, and then, uh, why am I bringing all this up? So that by the end of it, oh. Because gremlins are supposed to. Then the, about technology. Yeah, and in the sky in World War Two, and getting the planes, and that's always like, oh, there's a gremlin in here because stuff isn't working right. And they talk about, the, the Warner Brothers was like, you know, the first one was really dark. And, you know, like, you know, they almost got complaints. Like, people, there's a story where a woman came out and was complaining that it was so dark. And that's what the in the, the yeah. scene in the movie theater, where this she, one is based on. Where she's coming out of this movie in the, and it's not in the movie, it's in the, the, the break in the movie, you <laughs> yeah. know. And so they want this one to be, like, less mean-spirited, more kid-friendly. But then what you're saying, there's all this craziness in it, you know, where it's, like, it's yeah. supposed to be a little more goofy, fun. It's not as dark. But it's still but it's is, creep. But it's for me, it's way creepier. It's like still, it's more frightening. Yeah, because you know, if they were to break out in New York City, and you know, they can multiply like mice or rats or well, ants. the stakes are certainly the world in, in that way, uh, slightly bigger. Yeah, and you would think by this point that gremlins would be everywhere. You would think that you know, because if they've been living so long on this earth, and they're you know, they were getting into planes in the war, you would think they'd be living in the cloud, wherever the hell they fly, or whatever the hell, the hell ever they, you know, who knows how they get anywhere. You'd think we'd already be dealing with it. We'd be like trolls under bridges and shit like that, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, maybe we've, maybe long ago we eradicated the ground. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they just never, other than Gizmo, they never made their way onto our shores. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then even, like, let's talk about, like, Nowadays, like, you know, the stereotype of, like, the Asian photographer, very, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, even that's, and I was surprised, this is 1990 and they're still doing that. Of course, but, played by the great, uh, I don't know if I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Ged, uh, G-E-D-D-E. Yep. Watanabe. Okay. Who uh, is in one of my favorite movies of all time. Gung Ho with Michael yeah, Keaton. Yeah, he's the guy in it. <laughs> he's the Asian guy. Yeah. He was also in uh, 
16 Candles. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a very tiny little cameo part in But isn't 16, The Things You Did. Is the it, things that, that Thing You Do. Is it 16 Candles or is it Pretty in Pink where he's kind of, even that people have been getting mad at nowadays because he's a in 16 the 16 Candles because he's the, he's the, like the foreign exchange student. And he's saying some horrible thing or yeah. whatever. He's doing some, like, stereotypes. But they're doing the stereotypes in here and, uh... He's like, you know, do you, do you, are you good with the camera? He's like, of course, I am a camera. I forget what he says. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the movie's just crazy. There's so much going on, and there's just so like even the lead character, Zach, um, what's his name? Galligan. Yeah, Zach Galligan. He, Billy. Uh, he. What else has he been in aside from the Gremlins movies? Waxwork. Okay. He was in like one of those teen comedies in the eight and that maybe before Gremlins or at, right after Gremlins. He was in a few things because I would have thought he would have. He was nice enough to do a little spot at the beginning. <laughs> of spot at the beginning yeah. for us. I used to see him. I met, I would imagine he was doing a play here at some point many years ago, and uh, just like my Lance guest story, I would see. Zach Galligan in my neighborhood all the time. <laughs> my name is. And I always used to go to this sushi place that's now closed called uh, Go Sushi. Yeah. And uh, actually, we had, we had dinner there once or twice. Did we? Because <laughs> they also had like chicken teriyaki and stuff. You okay. Came, you came over on one of your work breaks and we ate there. But uh, many times I sat next to my cat, Zach Galligan and had dinner. <laughs> well, and you were really at the, at the sushi place? Yeah. Oh, I'd be really scared there. You know, Gremlin or Mogwai. Imagine if he had like a little, <laughs> what the fuck? Walking around with a box with a, like a, a blanket on or a, a thing. Uh, because you'd think like he's, you know, he'd have a, would have had a bigger career or whatever when once Gremlins came out. It's like, yeah, you, know? you never know. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Waxwork movies. Yeah. Those are a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, you're su- I'm surprised because he's a good looking kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he good, aged well. Like, you know, he he looked for a while. He looked the same age even when he got older. He still looks like pretty much face. like that just yeah. with like some graying hair. I mean, he still looks good. Yeah, it's like Dick Miller. You never knew how many years. I'd do him. Yeah, Blake would do him. (laughs) Uh, Jerry Goldsmith did the soundtrack for this, and he also did the soundtrack for- Jerry Jerry Goldsmith did the soundtrack for- Everything. Every great movie that wasn't done by John Williams. So it's funny that John, that um, you have, um, you know, the Ram- he's able to pull some of the Rambo bars. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't get more. He kind of does some of the Gremlin stuff in the Rambo style, but I was surprised that they didn't, they weren't able to just use the Rambo music. Yeah, like properly, you know? Because, like, even when I first saw the movie, like, Gizmo takes that back seat where he gets locked in the thing, and I think that just gives the the filmmakers a little more able to show the wackiness of what's going on all over the building. You don't have to worry about Gizmo. Gizmo's just locked trying to get away. And then he finally stands up to fight for himself, and he's, you know, and he puts the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the headband on, and he, you know, gets, and it gets all. You know, Jared Goldsmith is not as big of a name as John Williams, because John Williams gave us music for Indiana Jones and Star Wars and, and those big iconic series, but when you talk to composers, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith is the is the guy that they talk about. Yeah, like some of them will bring up John Williams, and especially when I'm talking to them in the context of Jaws. I mean, in the context of horror, they're talking about Jaws. But the fact that every composer thinks Jerry Goldsmith was the best at it 
says a lot about Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. You know, Jerry Goldsmith's career goes back to, like, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then through the 70s, a lot of great scores. Alien is a, is a classic score, but... Uh, and he also did things like Rambo. There's a lot of Shadow we talked about. Yeah. A little bit how that's not my favorite Jerry, Gary, uh, Jerry Goldsmith score, but we talked about Jerry Goldsmith then. I mean, just one of the real, if you're going to have a, a, a Mount Rushmore of film music composers. Faces. Yeah, it would be Jerry Goldsmith would be on there. John Barry? Would John Barry be up there? That's a tough one because you got to figure Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman. Probably Jerry Goldsmith, probably John Williams, um, Neil Morricone, maybe. Ronald Schifrin? <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah, I know. You I know, know. Schifrin had a, had a whole other if we had a, career. If, if we had, you know? a, yeah, he did a lot of the TV and stuff. If, if you had like the, jazz, the, you know, a big, great big jazz career. Or maybe like the Hall of Presidents, we'd have like the animatronic. <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. We, we could put, put them all in there. We could put the you know, in uh, the Hall of Franz Waxman and everybody, you know, all the, all the older guys um, that made a big thing back then. Um, uh, this movie ends up coming out the same, like we said, the same weekend as Dick Tracy. But then also around, you, you know, you have uh, Back to the Future Three is out this year. You have Edward Scissorhands comes out this year. You have Arachnophobia comes out this year. Predator Two comes out this year. Child's Play Two that, comes so out this year. Are you year. saying that we did two consecutive 1990 movies and with starring the, the twins? <laughs> that's 1991. You just said Terminator Two. No, I said Predator, Predator 2. Predator 2, I thought. Hey, you had Terminator 2 in the mind. And then I, I said Child's Play 2, and then you got all messed up. I got up. all messed up. And then, last but not I least. Got all, got all. Get all messed up. <laughs> Beat up my ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't die. Like, don't die. Sorry. He's, We're he's, all going to die. We're all going to die. He's just, <laughs> <laughs> he ain't no man. We're all going to die. Sold it out there, and it ain't no man. We're all going to die. Uh, and, and Exorcist 3. <laughs> you know, same year as well. Um, so that's a pretty hard. I mean, because this end movie doesn't end up doing well. It's costs say like forty million or fifty million to make, and then it only makes like, you know, like ten million short of it. You know, which kind of kind of sucks. And I wonder if it's because they released it. Dick Tracy was huge when it came out. Yeah. You know, with uh, you know, a lot of all the toys, you know, all this other stuff going on. You had McDonald's and stuff. So you know, it's hard. To, and then you wait long enough, and that was, I think, another re- reason that. Uh, Dante was like he he said himself he thinks the se- it, the time passed for it to have yeah. a good sequel, you know. So, like, just an audience wasn't looking for a sequel by 1990. Yeah, there's I mean, you had Batman on the mind, you had all this other stuff on the mind, the whole world. I've and this is got a, Batman on the mind, Dion. Yeah. Always. This is another good example of we're talking about the older pre CGI. You have stop motion animation in this. You have miniature work. You have models. You have puppetry. You have all that kind of great, you know, uh, stuff being used in here. Uh, it is kind of a time capsule and that kind of aspect of uh, stuff getting done. And and uh, you know that you'd see a couple of years later they would probably they would probably CGI all the gremlins you know I mean even I think I don't know when you see the elevator flying by you know who knows what's going on there that could be CG you know, I don't know maybe it's miniature you know it looks it's just going so quick it could be animated but yeah you know it's just so much there's just so much going on and it's only an hour and forty five minutes but by the end of it you're like <laughs> you know it's like wow you know it's kind of freaky like you know well, geez we dodged a bullet on that one. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I mean, it's such an odd movie. I mean, I like I said, I have no idea how it would play. Not just to like today's 
young audience, but like, you know, people, the young, young people in 2000, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's so well, far. There's like, there's references to like Phantom of the Opera. There's yeah, references the, to like, we said Marathon there's Man. There's so many references, not only just to things of our childhood, but to things like you're saying, like. Like the, the scene to reveal Pre- Lon Chaney, our, yeah, coming out with his, you know, it's just so. Uh, I mean, I guess in the eighties, you know, the, the the play, the Andrew Lloyd Webber oh, musical you, yeah, was yeah, a big yeah, you're deal, right. but uh, and like all the faces, like certainly nobody would know who most of those people are. Well, I didn't even realize that that was supposed to be Edward G. Robinson. I thought that would. I mean, now that I look at it, like, oh, it kind of looks like him, but I just thought it looked more like ethnic or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, not that. I'm just talking about like, you know. The cameos. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the various yeah, like, people in it. Yeah, uh, Henry Gibson and uh, you know, you know the reference that the Grandpa Fred is supposed to be like Grandpa Lewis. <laughs> yeah, Robert uh, Prosky. Uh, yeah, it's just so you know, and it's just it's also how you remember these things. I you know, um, you know, Julia Sweeney. I didn't even notice was in it until you know when I'm watching it this time. I'm like, oh, you know, Julia Sweeney. You know, I feel like it's it's pre her fame on Saturday Night Live with Pat and all those other people that yeah. was I think either this era or a little later like 91 or 92 because she ends up making that Pat movie which I never ended up seeing uh, it's just and then you know there's the, the I mean people I think will get the Wizard of Oz reference still that's kind of ca- um, timeless but a lot of like you know is it safe people still today don't <laughs> even you know don't even know what that is so um, you know there's just a lot of a lot of weird draws and a lot of just connections i mean it's certainly surreal as all hell you know and it left you know like i guess it's best described like um dante said it's basically like the back half it's like a, the, the closest thing you'll ever see to like a like a live action cartoon or yeah kids, i mean it certainly you know? does have that zany cartoon feel i mean i do get like his intention of opening it with looney tunes would help set the stage help an audience get into the frame of mind yeah and they even cut that down because they said there was two audiences were getting confused. This is too long. Are we seeing a Looney Tunes? Yeah, what the fuck? Because there was a whole thing about the the, the that about the computer and, and doing the like the what, like doing the font for the movie. There's yeah. a whole there was a whole bunch of that animated. And it's one of these movies where I never knew there was stuff at the end. So you know, this is behi- before Marvel movies and all this, or Masters of the Universe, where you know it's like. Uh, um, Daffy coming back in and commenting on this guy. Oh, who's this? You know, and then at the end you have Porky Pig come in. You know, it's like, and then at the, I think the theater would have already be emptied and being cleaned by the time you see Chuck Jones come up and say directed by, you know, his yeah, his yeah. name come up. The, you know, however, I forget how they 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 actually, um, you know, named him there. Uh, and then also, I guess now they're talking about their, for, there's been talk for the past couple of years of it being like a. Is there going to be a reboot? Is there going to be a sequel? And then maybe there will be a reboot. And finally, they're talking about that there may be a sequel in the works. And the idea, what's the idea of like, um, maybe if it's going to be like an almost darker kind of a sequel, like if 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 poor Gizmo's capable of all this, you know, should we euthanize Gizmo or should we still be around? Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about the sequel other than that there's been talks about doing another one for a long time. Um yeah, it's just really kind of uh, freaky. They're the, talking about it being like the question being that, um, you know, like if gremlins uh, are coming from Gizmo getting wet and feeding his Mogwai offspring after midnight, should Gizmo be eliminated? 
Now that's the idea that's being played with, you know, or actually bringing it to Vegas or like at the beginning there when they were talking, thinking about plots, they were even thinking about maybe bringing Gremlins to Mars or kind of crack crazy shit. Well, so you know, that's my idea for a third one: is Gremlins in space. Gre- Gremlins <laughs> in space. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just complete whack town. Uh, I think that's the hashtag whack town. So it was enjoyable because, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in so long. Well, let's just put it this way. I mean, you'll never see a movie like this again. For for a multitude of reasons. There's just some movies that when you watch them, you you just have to be in awe of that they were special. Is he carrying? Is Christopher Lee carrying a pod from when he walks in? He's carrying a giant pod. Is it from Invasion of the Body Snatchers? <laughs> that's what I, you know. I don't know if that. I get, are we supposed to assume that? I don't know. I don't know. I, that's what I, I thought it might have been. You know. And then, uh, I, I, like I said, I love that little exit that he had when he was able to leave the building. Um, yeah, there's just it's weird. Or the dog. You know, the dog eating out of the trash. It's like this huge dog, and no one cares. Remember when it's like showing how like desolate New York City is supposed to be? And I love the redhead girl in it, Marla. Yeah, she played a really good character part. And then at the end, she kind of ends she up was, being uh, never in a whole lot of stuff. Her what's no. her name? She's got an interesting first name. I think she was in Sixteen Candles also. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Where are my notes? Oh, uh, Haviland. Haviland Morris. God bless. That's like that's a novelist name. My name is Haviland Morris. She's uh, blonde and uh, sixteen candles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is we. You know, look. <laughs> you have that weird. There's there is that subplot of that she. It's, it's, like but it's that gal. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She's only using them to climb the ladder, and I think that's it's so funny because it it takes you don't need it a lot of time. So I find that so funny where she's like, you know, it's fine. it's very witty where she's like, you know, we're going places. And he's like, what, meet you? Yeah, Me? yeah. You know, like, or she takes him to what, the Chinese restaurant or wherever yeah. they're eating. I mean, I guess more that, that you know, the fact that, uh, you know, she's like, I will do anything. And she, I love, she has like yeah, a- Phoebe Cates is, is jealous. Yeah. And she's, Phoebe, Phoebe Cates has that new, remember like the, she has that 90s kind of a haircut. But I love the idea where she's like, her accent is not even a real New York accent. It's like a, it's a, uh, a like a caricature of a New York accent. Yeah, how she's yeah. doing it, so it's just funny. There's a lot of, I, a lot of breakout. I mean, a lot of standoff, standalone performances in this. I think, um, and it's like you said, it, it's something that you never see again. One because of the wackiness, two because of the just the zaniness, and then just because of how you do special effects and stuff and all that kind of a thing. Yeah. You know? And just that, like all the references are so dated. But yeah, yeah like the way special effects are done. A whole two-hour movie will never be done like that. Yeah. Just from a technical standpoint, ever yeah. again. Yeah. Let alone that tone. Yeah. Will ne- will it's, never- it's so meta, it's self-referencing. It's because by the th- once they get loose in that building, you kind of completely lose the arc. I mean, the only thing you have to do is just stop them from leaving, you know. But aside from I mean, even it's funny that like when John Glover's involved to help him. It's like you see what they're putting up, like this big. It's like it looks like it's Moscow. It's like the. It's like a. It's like a backdrop of wherever they can get. I think there's a back. There's a. There's a. There's a reference that gets cut out. Where I think they took that from a Broadway play. Yeah, they had the backdrop. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're trying to like, and that's a funny thing too. Is they're trying to like 
trick the gremlins to think that it's later than it is. So what they do is like the lobby is full of windows. So they put this backdrop up on a crane to hide it. So it looks like outside. It's like a it's like a psych or something, and it has like the the moon and whatever, and it looks like it's like the Kremlin, you know, yeah. there, you know. And then they speed all the clocks up in the building, which is, I guess, technically could be conceivable if you're working like in a in a news or cable news thing, because all those clocks are on one circuit, but. They have like analog clocks doing it too, which I don't, or like the little desk, you know, like a plug-in alarm yeah. clock doing it. Where if they were all clocks on the wall, it might work more. But it's it's just very funny, like the you know the Julia Child reference of her being, um, you know, kind of like half in the bag drinking and you know all this stuff, or or the, you know, just just the, the the wackiness of it all. It's just it's just it's 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 crazy. And I would think that the people are dying left and right, you know, like in the building. There must have been a lot of casualties. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, but it was that period of time where casualties weren't a big deal. Yeah, it doesn't care. You know, and then you think about when they're going to be leaving. It'd be a lot of terror. I mean, like you know, that's a serious thing in these today's world. But like at them, if Jesus having them leave and causing problems in New York City, like they'd be satirizing that kind of a thing. Well, that's those are the stakes. Yeah, exactly. Stakes are high. But yeah, it's just. uh, I mean, God bless it. God bless it for being what it is. So funny. I mean, like I said, I I've never really been able to connect with it. And watching it this time, the like the uneasiness I felt about it, you know, because when I was a kid and I saw it, does I it go back? I didn't really know how to process that. Yeah, like I didn't know why. Like they, I didn't like. Does it, it go back to your fears? Like for me, like I told you, like that shit on the back. I found repulsive and disgusting because I don't like stuff like yeah, yeah. stuff in the hand or the back or like you know uh, symbiotic organisms using you as a host and sure, coming out. Yeah. Is it? Did you see any of that? Like, is there any? Well, there's definitely there's that. I mean, there's like I, I'm I'm with you with the, on that one. But I mean, for you, I mean, is there like you know how some people have a fear of like I don't like seeing bugs or I don't like seeing I don't know you know well mice or rats. Is there an element here? I don't where, know if you know there's I mean? something specific to that. It's just the tone of it. Like that, no one cares that this is happening. Like that, world coming like to the end, or the, the goofy gremlins. Yeah, you know, like and, and, not, <laughs> and not later. Yeah, but like yeah. the like the first three that come out, or four yeah. that come out of of Gizmo. Like it's just it's 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 frenetic and yeah. and and just like it's too much for me. You yeah. know, I don't mean too much of like it's too much and it's awful. You know, like. Overloaders. Yeah, not not too much in like a in a stylistic sense or or something like that, but too much for me to <laughs> for me to handle. I noticed you were getting sweaty. It's like when I woke up and I was like, oh, I took a nap, and you were to calm me down. You were getting a little uneasy. It just uh, we had to stop it a lot so you can go to the bathroom. It did. Tr- I don't know. It was triggering stuff. <laughs> I don't, it's just it's it's so you know. But for me, some of the first movies like that, because I saw the first movie at such a young age, when it came out, I'm five yeah, or six. Yeah. So the, the parts of like putting a gremlin in a microwave, or the African American guy who sticks his hand at the high school under, and then his, you know, you assume his hand got eaten, like all that shit is yeah, scary. Yeah. The gremlin flying by, and I was waiting this whole movie, like when are they gonna, when are they gonna roll the theme? When are they, and it, you don't get it, at least unless I missed it, you don't get it to like an hour or so in, you finally get the la, 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 you know, it's like they were holding that card for like the third act, you know, it's like, yeah. why didn't you have it at the beginning, you know? Yeah, for me, the first one definitely is, yes, those moments are disturbing and they're scary, but there's something less disturbing about them to me. Oh, I mean, it just, it's Like true. they're scared, like, like they're, it's a different kind of disturbing yeah. for me. 
just there's just something about this one that just it's just like it's too weird. Yeah. And I mean, like them killing the old lady on the tr- on the on the stair chair. That's for the scary. first one. Yeah, yeah that one. You know, well, that. that's that's more in line with this one, I think. Of yeah. the gags. Yeah. In the first one, that gag is she's more, like the Mister Potter kind of a character. More in line with with what's happening in this movie, yeah. or the just the people not like it's scary to me. Like you know, when I think it's the first, you know, when when the cops are driving slowly, and you see like people running by with the gremlin on them. Like it's like that's it's all like are the gremlins going to eat you conceivably? You know, I don't know. Or the you know the one in this movie, the gremlin coming out of the fucking <laughs> he's out of the what is it the the M and M's or whatever for the frozen <laughs> yogurts. Like it's all kind of very or like we said before, like the. The, the idea of, like, uh, one gremlin growing vegetables and they're picking it out and eating off that gremlin. You know, like, that stuff is just kind of wet. And then the very end, once the movie almost ends, before they roll the credits, you cut to poor, uh, well, he gets his comeuppance, Robert uh, Picardo. He's in the bathroom and, and he's got kisses all over his face. You would assume he's been accosted by this yeah. female gremlin. And then it's like the whole la, la. So you'd assume that there's other gremlins still alive doing the la, la. You know, it's like, it's very meta, but he's going to marry her in the bathroom. also, like... It's very Miss Piggy from the Muppet movie with the wedding dress and the soft lands. Yeah, but there's also just like the musical number. Oh yeah, it's all New York, New York, and all that kind of a like you know. And then they're but doing it like turns like a Bubsy Berkeley type. Yeah, thing they, don't they say that too? Like, like it looks like they're doing a musical sequence, and then it has some. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like it has like it's almost like it's, um. Let's zany. It's, the movie is zany. Well, uh, and the my problem Liza Minnelli's father. It's like oh, oh yeah, you know, it's like with the with the it's almost turns into one of those Esther Williams with the like, you know it, it comes out with the car. You know, it's all very. I just think for me, it's like you can have the cartoonish tone but when you add like the the darker aspect of the gremlins to it it's a weird balance that cre- i mean in, in a lot of ways his se- dante segment for yeah twilight zone is just, is, like, is that. like that because it's the kid who's kind of obsessed with cartoons and he kind of makes his like sister's mouth go away, and then there's the giant fucking rabbit <laughs> in, the, in that scene. Well, the, in that one, the and, mouth go away thing is completely frightening. How they reveal that, yeah, very yeah. scary. I just remember finding that really terrifying yeah. when I was a kid. So do I. Uh, so much so that like, it's it has stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. And I think this, in some ways, like it's it's playing on that, like yeah. my. Being disturbed by that, it's Joe Dante's triggers. Joe Dante triggers. Joe Dante trigger. It's a. You, that's why you've been seeing an analyst for all these years. You know. But anyway, I'm glad we did it though because I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, and I do love the first one so much. And yeah, and I know that there is a lot of there are a lot of fans, big fans of this one. So yeah. I'm glad that we revisited it. Um, I think it was it was it was time for us to watch it. Yeah, you know, considering you haven't. You might not have seen it in its entirety since 1990. No, certainly not. And I completely forgot about the Hulk Hogan stuff and all. I'd never seen since I guess I'd never watched that video. I never saw the John Wayne stuff and then the uh, you know the ending. It's just all. It's good. I never saw the very very end stuff with the Looney Tune stuff again. It's crazy. Good old Robert Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. He's in something. Oh, we already said that he was in the um, um, uh, vector vector scope uh, interspace. So. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, 
But uh, we've got a big summer coming out this year. This We're is still only the second installment. I know. We need to just make sure that we have proper naps or we get enough sleep the night before for Saturday. These last two months were. It was tough. They were both tough. tough. The problem is, is we're working days before we, we do it. And we come, you know, we come and record right when we get for in there. A sleepover. After working a whole day's work, it's that's just big, tough. That's the big secret is we haven't been recording them on Saturdays. Yeah. We've been recording them on Friday night sleepovers. Yeah, because it's just for our work <laughs> schedules, you know, and it's and we're adults now, so we have all this, you know, we don't have the energy we used to have. Our hair is They're more in. like Saturday morning sleepovers. Yeah, so it's technically Saturday. It technically is Saturday. Yeah. But like our parents are still coming off the work week, so they're doing stuff. They're, you know, just getting stuff ready, and we're coming out, and my mom's washing the dishes, and we're coming in. Blake's, hey, we're going to do a sleepover. Can you please all go upstairs so we can? Crack it open, a bucket of pizza. Yeah, and then a mega jolt, and, you know, after we drink the liquor and the beer. One that thing we never, and I don't think we should get into it now because it's too late, but I will say the interesting thing ab- about the Gremlins phenomena is all the Gremlins kind of ripoffs that came off from it because you have like the ghoulies and the and, uh, critters, munchies, and the critters, and there was a whole genre yeah. that, a, that sparked from the success of Gremlins, the first Gremlins. When I was looking to see if this was on a streaming thing, I saw there's on maybe Prime, there's a movie called Gremlin. And it's a newer movie with like CGI, and it, they make the gremlin kind of look like a like a scorpion or like a, a, a kind of a spider kind of a thing. It's very freaky, very freaky looking. Yeah. So Corman was getting into it with the munchies. We had the gremlin from which is pre Gremlins, the gremlin from the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, which you was know, a takeoff on the gremlin from, from the Twilight Zone Twilight. television show. Yeah, <laughs> which people I've heard now say that that's kind of racist. They think that that looks like you know like the the. the the costume. Which one? The, the original one? Yeah. Or the movie? The original one. Because I the, remember the movie looking really cool. Oh, the movie, movie was freaky as all hell. With John the, Lithgow? Yeah, and then it's, it, it does like the no, 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 and it has that string score. Always George, scared me. George Miller did that? Yeah, I think episode? so. Yeah. Back when you can keep, you can never, you were never able to have a pl- a, a gun on a plane. But, uh, you know, the guy was <laughs> loaded. Um, but it's anyway. funny. Anyway. But it's late we're going to have somebody be like... When are you gonna do Twilight Zone the movie? We've already, already had that. We've already had a couple. I know, of but now that. that we've talked about, it. oh, I know. We used to talk <laughs> about the crap out of it now, in the early days. Give him a little taste. Yeah, a little taste of what's going on there. Uh, so, we've got a lot going on this summer, as we said. It's the summer, the 2019 summer of sequels. Uh, so we have a lot of sequels coming up uh, that you may in- hopefully like and enjoy. We're, we certainly are going to like and enjoy doing them. And we're doing sequels coming. We're kind of. Doing a big this big summer celebration is all leading up to our fifth anniversary. Oh Jesus! We're going to be an item now. We're going to have to buy rings and stuff. The fifth anniversary of uh, and then we're going to take the uh, our we- the top of our wedding cake out of the <laughs> freezer. Somebody was and eat just it. saying that about the wedding cake. <laughs> um, yeah, us two. Uh, what is the this? Saturday night movie sleepover sleepover cake that yeah, we made the- on our first episode? The platonic friends who eat their wedding cake. Gonna have and to crack th- open the rest of that Batman cereal. Yeah, Jesus, I, I, don't, I can't I, believe I, you I kept still, it. I still, <laughs> I still do I have say, it. I know, I can't believe you kept it. You know, eating it, it wasn't getting our stomachs pumped the first time wasn't good enough. We're gonna try I it again. Still, I still have it. Like, in, like, know, my that's like next time we're gonna do the fucking. Somebody's uh, gonna come over like and and visit, and I'm not gonna be. You know, they're gonna be like staying over, and they're gonna be like, oh, cereal. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. They're <laughs> gonna pour some bowl. I mean, that's akin to like, like come over, be dead. <laughs> it's like akin to like the Tide Pod Challenge. 
<laughs> Who's you know? Because I think it is just sitting in my pantry in the box. Are people in the, trying in the to Batman like, box? You know, inhale condoms through their nose and they're dying. Uh, just the things idiot kids are doing. We're like, well, we're doing it too. <laughs> so yes, we're gonna have a fun summer. It's gonna be exciting. We got a big lineup planned for you. We think you're really gonna dig it. We uh, we assume we are. We hope that's not presumptuous. Uh, we we're gonna dig it. Yeah, we're digging it. Uh, you know, we're gonna try to put the extra work in. You know, like we said, we're we're coming off of uh, you know trying to fit it all in whenever we can. Record these bad boys. Uh, Blake, what do you got going on? I don't even. Know. I don't I even don't, have an opinion, Dion. I don't even have an opinion. Blake's got his. Uh, he's working on his new book. Uh, Blake's also got his cuts from the crypt, which is. Um, uh, he's doing now. Uh, what's the name of the, the network? Damn, Damn Fine, Fine network. network. Yep, and uh, that's where you can hear Blake be a guest DJ, where he's once a month dropping things, where he's able to to, to do a uh, uh, what do you call that? A set cue. Uh, what do you, what would playlist? You, playlist. There you go. Of some of Blake's favorite uh, horror, horror movie, horror movie music. Yeah, and of yeah. course, the scored to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers is available on Amazon. At other book retailers, and for me directly at scoredtodeath.com. And there's also 20 some back episodes of Scored to Death the podcast, but I have a very special non horror Scored to Death the podcast episode coming up uh, sometime in the near future. Dun, dun, I, I just have to find time to edit it. <laughs> Gonna find time in your business. I already schedule. did the interview, one of my favorite composers of all time, and uh, composed the music for a movie that we covered on this podcast many years ago. No, I remember. I remember it. It was, and I guess the only hint we can give people who may, I don't know if they're going to know this now, but if you were listening then, it it wasn't a a surprise? The episode might have been a surprise. It was a surprise. We dropped it as a surprise episode because of where it played into the format of the year. And we talked about the music. And we talked about the music. Yeah. And Blake's plight. But that's enough. And then uh, what else you got? That's it. (laughs) That's enough for now. <laughs> so that's enough, right? Yeah. Dion Bai, of course, has his book, Blood in the Streets. Yeah, it's available on uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. You can go into a store, and hopefully it'll be there. If not, they can order it for you. It's available in paperback, an audiobook, an e-book, if you like uh, gritty 70s movies, if you like the music group The Doors, if you like historical fiction, you like uh, crime, uh, thriller, mystery, it's all in that kind of, a, um, you know, cop movies, it's all in that kind of a zeitgeist there, that world. So check that out, Blood in the Streets. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another seek summer sequel. Same uh, sleepover channel. <laughs> same sleepover channel. Do we want to give a hint of what the next one is? No. no. We've already kind of, well, I'm not going to say that, but yeah, we'll, I think we might have already dropped breadcrumbs in this podcast. Uh, but I digress. So, um, Blake's almost not in our way. So we should. Yeah, no, Blake, wake up. We got to get out of my day. We gotta, oh, shit. You know what I didn't realize? Is they're, that, probably they're probably fucking sleeping <laughs> out there. I don't know why they can't hear us because we have the, you know, like John Carpenter's Halloween. It's just the panel. You know, the, the, the closet door is just that Your panel. Dad had it soundproof. Yeah, because he knew. So we're going to have to walk out and walk through the. the that's going to be supremely awkward. Two of them creaking their floor, creaky floor, snoring and all that, and we have to wait for the the the, the, the breath before we move again. It's gonna be like Scooby Doo. Okay, see you in two weeks. Later. Later.